Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode of RDTN, the designer of the Undaunted series, David Thompson, tells us about his new game, Sniper Elite. The guys will rank their top five card games of all time. Plus, Marty and I review three family fun games from Funko. Ooh, that's a tongue twister. Fun Funko family games. Welcome back to episode number 206. That's 206. As time goes by of rolling dice and taking names, I'm Tony. It's going by pretty slowly right now. This is Marty. Yes, yes it is. It is dragging. 2020 is dragging like no other time has done before. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it just and dude, what else? All the all crazy things going on, right? We don't yeah. need to to rehash everything that's going on in the world, except to come to find out here in Charlotte, North Carolina, on Sunday, we wake up to an earthquake. That's right, five point one. We're on the Richter scale up in Sparta, <laughs> in North, North Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> I was like, what is going on around here? Murder hornets, earthquakes, pandemics. Killer cicadas and everything else. But, Wait a minute, uh, hold, stop. Are there killer cicadas? Well, the uh, what's the big, there's a big bee that kills, it's a cicada killer. Oh, okay. So it's not the cicada is a killer. Like, no. I got to be worried about the cicadas that came out all over around here. Did you know that North Carolina is one of the biggest spots in the U.S. for broods, number of broods of cicadas? No, I did not know that. I know this is the year of the cicada. This was their the, the seven-year cycle, I think. Well, here's the thing is, because there's so many broods in North Carolina, that happens a lot. Every brood happens every seven years, and they're numbered. So that's why these happen that frequently. It's not every seven years oh. for us here. We hear them more often than that because different broods come out around here. Okay, I did not know that. And when you keep saying brood, I keep thinking of um, Starcraft. Starcraft. I do too. <laughs> Zerg. <laughs> Zerg, yeah. So, oh my God, I need to go out there and mute my Discord channel. I'm tired of that little noise. You know, you could turn that off. I need to. I didn't know that. I, I don't monitor Discord, but still being stuck at home, I keep my other computer up and running so I can monitor it. Man, that's just getting crazy over there on the Discord channel. Stop it. And they keep pulling us into rabbit holes. So let me ask you, everybody on this channel has been saying, you guys need to check out this app called It's Literally Just Mowing. And I kept hearing multiple people talk about this. Is that the name? I thought it was Just Mowing. Is it mowing? Just Mowing? I think it's Just Mowing. Let's see what it is. All right, we're all going to our apps here. Because, you know, you and I both downloaded this. It is just mowing. It's Oh, well, I like saying it. It's literally just mowing. And so everybody's like, you got to try this. I said, okay. Okay. Both of us download it. You have a guy on a lawnmower going around the neighborhood. Or a girl. Or a girl. Either one. You pick. And you, using your thumb, you control. It's going to go, the lawnmower's going to go in a direction. And then you can swipe left, swipe right to make it go left or right, etc. And basically, you're trying to mow the yard around a house. And when you complete it, you go to the next yard on the street. That's it. And so I'm playing this game going, okay, this, this is pretty cool. So what's it going to, what's it going to happen? Is it going to start timing me? Is it going to be like, oh, you're going to run out of gas. And if you do, then you need to try it again because you didn't get mowed in time. Nope. Mm-mm. You're just trying to upgrade a mower. <laughs> the more you mow, the more little things you get, like different types of wheels, mm-hmm. uh, different hats you can wear, uh, different shirts. Different body styles of the mower. I got a new blade the other day. 
which is important because you you know you got to keep your lawnmower blades sharp or they will damage the grass. So I'm glad to see they put that actually in there. People are saying, well, no, really, it's just mowing. It's like, there's got to be more to it. There's a puzzle here. It's something's going to unlock. Nope. Just ads that start annoying you and mowing yards. Yes, and on the Android, the ads occur after every yard. For me, they do. And guess what has happened to just mowing? It is now off your device. It has been deleted. I am done with that. I'm not. I, everybody say, well, you, all you got to do is pay $6 to play Just Mowing and get rid of all the ads. Yeah, I could do that. Or I could use that $6 to get me a couple milkshakes or a box of moon pies or something. You know? Ooh, a couple milkshakes. I still got to have my summer milkshake. I'm still looking forward to it at the end of August. I'm going to cookout. We're going to cookout for a $2.99 milkshake, and I just can't decide which one I want. Well, I, but cookout's not really a milkshake. It's ice cream in a cup. How dare you? They mix they mix a slice of peach cobbler in that sucker for the peach cobbler milkshake. A milkshake is something you can extract with a straw. Fair. If you do throw in a slice of cheesecake or peach cobbler, you do have to use a spoon at that point. Exactly. So I don't... Cons- I mean, every milkshake I've gotten from cookout, I've never been able to suck through... I've gotten... A what brain hemorrhage or something when, you know you're everything you're just like i'm going to be sucked down into the straw <laughs> and for those who are wondering cookout is a, another one of those local places around here that has really cheap food it's like you get a tray of food for 4.99 where you can get a burger two sides and a drink and they're open late at night and they're just always packed it's a good deal though now marty this has been a very expensive month for us and the reason why i say that is a lot of the kickstarters have come and gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so for instance, you know, I got my Ascension Tactics. I backed that. Yep. We got Lizard Wizard going on. Yep. You just paid our um, Crokinole expenses? Yes. Uh, we got Crokinole. In fact, it's been shipped. Ooh. Yeah. So we're going to get our Crokinole boards that we'll be able to talk about in the future from uh, Mayday Games. I- I've been wanting one of those. I have no mm-hmm. clue how to play it, but I- I'm figuring it's not going to be hard. I'm flicking disc in a hole. Yeah, you're going to like it. The rules are pretty cool. It's one of those things that's addictive once you start playing it and how, how fun it is. Yeah. And I've also, during this time, we're going to be talking about this later on. I've, a- I've actually backed Vampire the Masquerade. I mm-hmm. teased on the uh, the last episode, so I backed that. It's a hot season for Kickstarters. And we got another one that's going to be coming out when we have designer David Thompson coming on talk about his new Kickstarter. That's right, Sniper Elite, a video game that I had never heard of, and boy, I was under a rock. <laughs> I did not know this. And another thing that's happened for me, Marty, I'm all excited about my wife during, um, right before Christmas, she got one of those Inspire Fitbit things. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It didn't work as well as it should. And after four months of battling with Fitbit, they finally said, lady, we're tired of dealing with you. We're just going <laughs> to send you a new one. <laughs> no, Donna complaining constantly about something. Well, it didn't work. She spent good money on that. Sure. So she wanted a new one. And what hers does is, and it's so funny, on the 28th day, it will, hers will shut down. Just shut down. She has to plug it in and reboot it and all that. It was kind of irritating. Sure. So, that, so that's why she was doing it. Well, guess who got her leftovers? I did. Nice. So I now have my Fitbit, man. I am ready to go. I'm walking my 250 steps every hour. You do know your phone just does that too, right? No, my phone does not. Yeah, it can. It easily does. It just turn on track steps and it'll do the exact same thing a Fitbit does. But that means I'd have to keep my phone on me. 
Yeah, and don't you typically keep your phone on you? No, I do not. Oh, okay. There's the problem. I leave my phone either sitting on my desk or I don't, I, I hate carrying that thing around all the time. Okay. Well, that's fair. I was going to say, so yeah, I track steps too, but I just use the the phone app that come, mm-hmm. comes with it. Well, you're an Apple kind of guy, so. Well, it's not, it's not an Apple thing. They all do it. They all have tracking things for steps and everything, Android and everything. It's not a, it's not a, I'm actually going to leave Apple. You and my next upgrade, I'm I'm out of Apple. I'm tired of Apple. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of their ecosystem. I don't know what that is, but uh, you know what? They don't like the planet. No, no. I'm tired of their their the way that you, you had to use iTunes. And I'm tired of their interface. And I'm tired of just tired of their store. Now everything comes out on Android first. Mm-hmm. And my entire family is on Android. I'm the only one on Apple. So might as well just standardize across the board here. Well, what is that going to do with all your little gaming buddies across the country who have their little group? Well, I don't use my phone for any gaming. Zilch. Uh, no, I'm saying about when texting and messaging. Don't y'all have a, all that special group? Isn't there a way that Apple has a special group? And I'll tell you why I think that in a second. Don't you have that? No, if I talk to anybody, it's using WhatsApp, Snapchat, Facebook messengers, nothing built into Apple. Oh, I thought there was a special, the reason why I'm bringing this up. Um, so uh, there was a group that was on Apple and we were, we were helping, um, a friend of ours and they all had the Apple group and then somebody would have to copy the message in the Apple group and give it all to us Android people. If you're talking Apple to Apple, there's a couple benefits, but okay. Cause I didn't know anything about this. And then all of a sudden my thing was someone liked a comment that someone posted. I'm like, what is this liking a comment? This isn't Facebook. This is texting. Come on, people. I still wish people just use a phone to talk to each other. Oh, talking on a cell phone. Oh, that's so irritating. <laughs> or, or not. Or, or not. not. Yeah. I mean, you and I, we talk all the time on the phone. Pfft, never. We're too busy on Slack. I, I was gonna say we're I was gonna say we're guys, <laughs> but <laughs> none, this is true. I, none of my guy friends talk on a phone. Nobody no, calls no. on a phone. Because nobody wants to, nobody wants to talk on it. Yeah, no, no, it's not going to happen. So once again, I um, was unable to make it a game night out of. Yes, um, you were, and you missed it. But go ahead, you missed I, it. I'll tell you about it, but you missed it. And I had two good reasons, and one of them you called BS on me, and that's fine. You can do that. I was moving my daughter across the country from Tulsa to Arlington. Virginia. I wasn't calling that part BS. <laughs> you, you were calling the part where I wanted to. I was on a plane, okay? Yes. And so I was like, I want to make sure I, I am responsible for the people I'm near. I care for people, so I don't want that opportunity. Those words have never left his mouth, but go ahead. Man, I worry about you all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, somebody, I must be on my death. Do you know something I don't know? Has Vanessa no. said that I have some terminal illness that I no, don't know about? I'm worried, man, I worry about you. I'm always thinking around, what has he gone and done stupid now? <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. I've mean, known you forever. So, But then something else came up on Thursday, so I, um, I'm kind of... Anyway, so that happened, but you got to go out and play games. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So, all right. Which one you hear first? You want to hear about the bigger game or the smaller game? Uh, let's start. Let's start small. We'll we'll, okay, we'll build. Let's start small. Um, Ares Games has a game that uh, they re-released a deluxe version called King and Assassins, and this came out about 2013. Uh, this is a two-player asymmetric game, so something that both you and I would enjoy. Pretty simple concept. One of you is playing as an assassin, try to kill the king. 
The other is playing as a king who's trying to use his knights to protect him as he goes from one side of the board to the other to try to get in his castle. And when the game is set up, you set out a lot of civilians on the board and they, they mark on the board where the civilians need to go. You as the assassin has one card for every civilian on there. The model is really nice. You can tell what each civilian looks like matches to the card. You pick three that you secretly hide. That's going to be your assassins. So now on your turn, you're going to have action points that you can use to, to be able to move around. And how that works is you flip over a card from a deck and it tells you how many action points the king has and how many you can spend on your knights. Now, the action points for the king is pretty much just move. That's all he can do. Your knights, however, can walk around. They can capture people or arrest citizens. They can climb up onto a roof. And they can kill assassins. And each of these takes a different number of action points. Typically, it's to climb a roof it, uh, to the roof. It takes two action points. Or to capture an assassin takes two action points. And maybe you'll have four or five per, uh, for your knights, all of your knights together, and like one or two for your king. So on your turn, you're going to use those action points to start moving around, right? Just like, hmm, I got to start keeping an eye on these citizens. And then you you move. I, the same card shows how many action points I have as a assassin. So if I have four or five, I can use those to move the citizens around. It costs an action point to move a citizen. It costs two action points to climb to a, a roof. And then I'm basically trying to move around. Hey, look, it's the king. He's looks. I want to get his picture of the king and stuff. And so as you go along, you don't know which of those citizens are the assassins. And at some point in time, what I can do is I can reveal myself for free, a free action. I can just say, okay, I pick up one of the citizens and replace it with an assassin miniature. That's an assassin. And at that point, I can, I can go up and stab a knight for one action point. I can turn around and spend two action points and stab another knight. And I, that's the most I can kill in my turn. If I can get close enough to the king, I can spend two action points to wound the king. And if I wound him a second time, then I win the game. Meanwhile, your goal, is the, I'm assuming you're the king, is to get to the, into the castle safely before the deck runs out. That is really the whole game. And I played that game four times in one day and had the most fun with it. It is a solid asymmetric game. I saw this game when it first came out. And I mean, watching it on Dice Tower Review, Tom talked about it, it looked like a game that I would really enjoy. Simple mechanics, yep. something that, I mean, Don and I enjoy the Rose King, which is a very simple, mm. has never the same thing, but it's one of her favorites of strategy. You know, I'm like, this is probably a game that she would enjoy. It becomes very thinky because as the assassin, you start thinking about using your citizens as decoys. So somebody moves in and you're thinking, is that an assassin or is it a decoy? Do I leave it alone or do I capture it? Sometimes you get lucky and the king may capture a citizen and uh, it may be one of the assassins. Now, if it just so happens that you end up capturing all three, the assassin goes, well, you captured all of them. Those, those three are the ones they were and the game is over. So multiple paths to victory. It plays in less than 30 minutes. Like you said, easy to learn. There's two sides of the board. Uh, but it becomes a very strategic game. But thematically, it's really cool. It kind of feels like, okay, I'm trying to sneak around and get close to the king and take him out. Or you just use the assassins to start taking out knights one by one, leaving the king unprotected. If the knights are all gone, is there a chance that the king will make it or no? Probably not, because he can only move one or two spaces at a time. and He can't attack anybody. So eventually, if there's an assassin left, he'll just run him down and take him out. Okay. So you liked it, huh? 
I liked it. I dude, I liked it a lot. It's one of those things that you and I need to get together at lunch and we could probably play twice during lunch. It just moves that fast. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I'd love to play it with you. We, we get just get your impressions on okay. it and see what you think. Um, again, if you th- if you look for a a strategic two player game that is totally asymmetric, that's another thing I like. And you and I like asymmetric mm-hmm. games. We do. You have one goal, I have one goal, and they play totally differently. The guy I was playing with said this almost feels like Assassin's Creed. It looks like Assassin's mm. Creed where you're stealthing around and it's like which one's trying to take me out. And this is also a video game. You can actually buy this on Steam and it works the exact same way. One person plays as the king and that person plays an assassin. So you could play this on Steam. Okay. I was wondering if I, I saw that and I didn't know if it was the same thing. It is. Okay. It is. And the deluxe version is nice with the nice miniatures and everything like that. So that's that's really cool. But you're being a bad guy. Someone's being the bad guy. Well, the king's bad because obviously they want to kill him. So it's funny. In, in the book, it talks like, well, maybe the king is abusing his power and stuff like that. So the assassins are trying to free the people of the evil, evil king. It's however you want to look at it. Yeah. Maybe the king was given a sword by a tart in a lake and he's abusing his power. <laughs> oh, another cool thing, too, is once you're said you're an assassin, you move easier. It only costs you one action point to then jump up on a roof and you can move around a lot quicker than what you can if you're just a regular citizen. So you actually get a bonus. Once you're exposed, you can be easily taken out, but it's easier for you to dodge and stay away from the other knights. Yeah, we're playing that. We're going to play that one. Yeah, that's really cool. So while you're out in the world uh, licking doorknobs or doing whatever you do, and I'm in here quarantining things, we we kid you about, you know, going out and trying to, what was it y'all went? Oh, you got free ice cream. Jason's Deli, dude. Yeah. And we're, right now, our schedule is on Thursday night for us to meet at uh, Jason's Deli and finally get in our another game of Alma Mater to talk about in our next episode. That's right. But while I was in lockdown and my poor wife had to experience lockdown with me, we got to play the Ravensburger game, Marvel Villainous. I'm jealous of that. I can't wait to hear about this. Okay. A couple of mistakes on my part. One, at the end of this, I find out that this is not the type of game Donna enjoys. Oh, she have you not played any other villainous with her? Yes, yes, I have, but she doesn't remember them. Okay. Okay, that's, you know, that's, I'm like, okay, that's fine, I understand that. And I thought, you know, it's a different thing. <laughs> what I just want to say is right now, when I edit the show... There's three things that you say a lot. It mm. is, that's fine. I understand that. That's not a problem. I, you don't know how many of those I cut out of episodes because you'll go, that, and that's fine. I'm good with that. Oh, yeah, that's another one. I'm good, good with, with that. that. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's, I'm good with that. It's, it's my expressions. No, that's go fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So anyway, she was not a big fan of playing villainous. Well, Marvel villainous. And because she couldn't remember the other villainous, but I needed to get this game on the table because I was interested in it. And my second mistake was I did not watch the Rodney Watch It Played video. And I did today because I wanted to to say what he should have done in his video to mock him, but he actually did it. And that he he actually went over Thanos and how Thanos works. He went over the villain. And I was like, why didn't I watch this? So I could teach her. So you've played the other villainous games. Yes. A, a couple others. Yes. This one is on a completely different level. Mm. This one is a lot more, um, I don't want strategic. You're still doing the same actions where you're moving your villain 
in various locations and then doing those actions in that location of either drawing, uh, gaining power, trying to draw, uh, draw a fake card to play on somebody or mm-hmm. vanquishing, uh, a hero that's in your realm. Uh, there's a few other that are out there that you can do as well, but that's what you're doing. It's the same repetitive thing. I'm going to move here, do these actions, move here, do these actions. But what they changed was the objectives in the previous games were kind of just, you were on your own. And the only thing people would do is play those fake cards on you to try to slow you down because they would be blocking some of the actions you could take. That's not it with villainous. So for example, with Thanos, he's got to collect the soul gems or, or the, um, yeah, for the gauntlet. There's one soul gem, right? Uh, yes. The stones. Mind gem, soul gem, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's got to collect all six of them. But the way he's got to do that is he has cards that will let a gem be attached to another player, to another villain's ally. Okay. And then he has to send one of his allies over and defeat that ally and then retrieve it back to his board. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm just going to get play a few cards and collect one of them. There's, there is interaction between the two. Okay. So you've got that going on. I was, so Donna was playing Thanos cause she recognized that character. That was my third mistake. That's probably one of the harder ones to play. Ah, uh, okay. I'm playing Hela. Yep. So with Hela, she is trying to put soul markers on other characters in other domains collect those and then get the markers in Odin's vault as well as her allies to win the game. So if the other players over there defeating the heroes that are showing up and getting rid of the soul markers, Hela cannot achieve her goal. Mm. So, so it's important for them to go vanquish the heroes on their board, not only to open up their action items, but also to, well, when they vanquish, I still get a soul token, but if they remove the hero, then the soul marker goes away. Okay. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is killing me here. Trying to, and we played this for two and a half hours and it's 30 minutes. One game for two and a half hours. How do you get stuck in these games that are supposed to be short with Donna and they end up taking forever? Well, it's 30 minutes per person. So one hour. Okay. The mechanics we got, it was not the problem. The problem was trying to understand how to meet the objectives and how they change things around. The fate decks used to be per player. Now you combine the fate decks. Okay, yep. Excellent, excellent game. It's one that I hope you and I get to play on the uh, table. I really want to play it. Who are some of the other villains in it? Um, There's Ultron, and he uh, he has to collect parts. Um, There's um, uh, the Black Panther's... uh, Enemy Killjoy, kill. Yes, Killjoy, uh, Killmonger, Killmonger, Killjoy. <laughs> killjoy. That's good. At, uh, well, at the end of our our venture, it was a Killjoy, Killjoy, uh-huh. yeah, Killmonger, yeah, uh, and um, Taskmaster. Okay, yeah, which which I did. I've I don't remember Taskmaster at all. I think he's going to be in the Black Widow movie when he comes out. And you cannot combine it with the other franchises, even though they're owned by the same company. Disney, yeah. uh, you, you can't do that. You can't put a Cruella de Vil against Thanos. That does not work. I was very interested in this theme. I was never a big, huge fan of the Disney-themed stuff anyway. I know, I just lost half the listeners. But Marvel, I could get into. So I'm really anxious to try this mechanic using some characters I'd really be inter- into playing. So I look forward to getting that to you. I'd be interested in, well, I will definitely bring it drop it on you and you take it home and let the boys play it and just do yourself a favor. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this. Watch Rodney's video. 
okay, did it put you to sleep? Because you said in the past when you watch Rodney's video, it put you to sleep. No, it did not put me to sleep because I was, I was engaged to find out what else did I mess up. Mm-hmm. So I was just watching through that. I did fast forward through a few things that I got right. But um, I was just like, man, did, does he care? He does cover the villain. Because Thanos has a whole page in the book to himself on how it works. Gotcha. Okay, so he's the most difficult villain to play. So if we were to play, maybe leave out Thanos and do the others first. No, you got to play him. You got to play him. Oh, really? You got to because of the because of the actions that the gen or the stones take are amazing. Oh. It's really okay. cool. It's a really nice addition. What you could leave out is event cards and. The book even says that leave out event cards in your first game so you can learn the game. But those are interesting in the fact that like we had an event show up because I didn't do that. Mistake number four, maybe five or six. I've lost track. Yeah, it's a lot of mistakes. But it was like for every time a player starts their turn, draw a fake card. Well, when you draw a fake card, that's a bad thing that's going to happen to you. Right, and it says to draw a fake card and play it to your board. So now I'm covering up actions. These event cards, you can relocate your allies to the events, and together you battle the event, and then everybody gets the reward that contributed to that. Oh, okay. So that was an interesting twist to it as well. Yep. When I see you on Thursday, it'll be in the car for you to have and hold and love. Oh, don't worry. I've got a whole box of stuff to give to you to have and hold and love too. So. Okay. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> what, what else did you, you said you got another game in? Uh, yeah, man. So we got to play alma mater, which we actually loved. Uh, and then this time around, since you couldn't make it Thursday, Bert and I got to play a game called Tekhenu, 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 Obelisk of the Sun, which is from the publisher Board and Dice. And, you know, they're the board game publishing company that makes all the tea games. Remember Teotihuacan? Yes. I'm saying that wrong because I learned how to say Teotihuacan and then everybody else says Teotihuacan or something like that. I say it some other way. But anyway, so we played that game. We reviewed the game, right? We all liked the game okay. Well, I mean, we, 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 it was a very popular game. I'm telling you right now, man, this game I like a lot. Like between the two, after just one game, this is one I was very interested in because you and I like dice drafting games, right? Coimbra. We like uh, Lorenzo El Magnifico. I think you were really going to like this. So I don't know if you've seen it, man. Have you seen it where it has the, the big plastic obelisk in the middle of the table? Absolutely. Uh, I have not. Bo- I have not. In the middle of the board. You need to go look this up. There's a plastic obelisk in the middle of the board that rotates uh, during the game. When you rotate the obelisk, it rotates this cardboard piece underneath it that has like a light side and a dark side and a shady side. And then around that, you have dice that you're going to draft. And on your turn, you're just going to draft a dice and use that die. The dice have different colors. So if you draft a die, whatever the pip value is, you'll get that many resources. Pretty straightforward. But you also, when you draft a die, it's from a particular god, an Egyptian god. There's six of them. So when you draft a die from there, you get to take the action of that god. And this is standard Yuri type stuff. This god gives you some resources. This god allows you to spend those resources to maybe build a pillar in the temple, which is going to give you some points if you do it the right way. This one allows you to increase your happiness or increase your population or uh, be able to 
get a card that gives you an instant event or ongoing thing or maybe in-game scoring card. And based on how much your happiness is, is which one you can choose. So it's typical Uria stuff, right? It feels very felty at that point. Well, I need to do this so I could be able to do this and have enough resources to do that. Okay, so that's your standard fare. But what's cool is, remember I just said you draft a die. But what happens is, is depending on where uh, the die is, where the sun is facing, or sun, where it's be light, dark, or shade, will change the order of how these dice are available to you based on their color. So the white dice, when it's sunny, are always considered as favored. They're considered mm-hmm. as favored dice. And, the, and uh, the, on the dark side, the black are considered as favored. But there's also tainted dice, and then there's forbidden dice. Forbidden, straightforward. If a, if a die is considered forbidden, you can't draft it, period. When you draft a favored die, you use it as normal, but then you have a little scale on your player board, and you put it on the favor side. If you ever draft a tainted die, it goes on the other side. And what you're trying to do is balance out the weight of the pips so that at the after four dice are drafted, you see what the scales are and then how far in the difference between the two, your goal is to get as close to zero as possible. If you're negative, you have more tainted than favored, you may lose points. Okay. But it also determines the player order. Whoever's closest to a difference of zero gets to go first and scales from there. So you're trying to keep those balanced. There are some tokens you get called favor tokens, which you can use to help balance out. Uh, You can add those to one of the scales to help balance out. But what's neat is, is after two dice are drafted, you rotate that obelisk. Then you may be going from light to shade or shade to dark. And when that does, that will shift the order of the way the dice are available to you. So what was available before may be forbidden now. That's where you got to start thinking. It's like, crap, I really want that die. But the next time the obelisk rotates, it'll be not available to me. So I need to take it now. That little mechanic of these dice shifting back and forth and when they're available, when they're tainted, when they're favored is really, really cool. And after you draft four dice, you do the balancing thing and you do that again. And after eight dice, you have a scoring round. And that happens eight more times. So after 16 rounds, the game is over. And 16 rounds sounds like a lot. But you know how some of the games that we play, Lorenzo being one where there's not enough time. I need more time. That's how this game ends. It's like, crap, I just wish I had another round and I'd do something really cool. So so what was the play time? Uh, it took us about two and a half hours, but that's a strict learning game. Mm-hmm. That is a drawback that both Bert and I said, if somebody had, could get easy AP where they want to analyze, well, if this dice is here and the obelisk turns, then that dice will shift to here. They'll try to think ahead several turns and it will slow the game down to a crawl. If Ooh. everybody does that, that would be tough. And with four players, you couldn't do that because the chances of that dice being available to you next time around is pretty small anyway. And by the way, the dice are pulled out of a bag when they're replenished. So you don't know what's going to come out. And like I said, there's different colors that do different things. The only other thing that I had that I had to learn too was there's six different Egyptian gods. And you'll get a card that says, well, when you take the raw action, and then you have to go and look, well, which one's the raw action? And then you're trying to match the icon of what raw looks like over at the obelisk till you know which one it is. So because you're not used to hearing Egyptian god names, mm-hmm. you forget 
that's what the Egyptian God is the one that gives you the ability to build it in the temple, or this one's the one that gives you the ability to build statues and stuff. Again, it's one of those things that when you're done, you go, how did the guy design this? This is designed by Danielle Tassini and David Terzi, who uh, we just finished interviewing David Thompson, who we're going to be talking to in a second. And he mentioned he's the guy that does all the solo versions of games. Those two guys work together on this game. I'm telling you, Tony, Coimbra, Lorenzo El Magnifico, you like dice drafting games. Mm-hmm. We've got to get this on the table in front of you because I think you're going to enjoy it. However, we got to make sure we get the right people around the table that don't AP, which is probably me. Oh, it's not you, man, because I'll get grumpy on you. I'll start throwing <laughs> down on you. Say, pick. My gosh, man, pick. Let's go. Let's move. Let's hurry. Yeah, like I said, I like this. After just one play, I like this more than Ted to walk in. I really do. So how many... The problem is we need to put Teotihuacan back on the table, set it up right, and also add that expansion. But here's the thing. We love well-designed Euro games, and it's the same designers that did both Mm -hmm. of these. But you and I love well-designed Euro games that have dice in it, man. Something about it. They have no mitigation. There are ways you can get these uh, tokens that you can use to basically turn in these tokens and draw, pick up any dice you want and use it for any action. So if there's not a dice that you have, there are ways to get things, resources that in the future that you could spend to take whatever action you want. So that you never have to worry about, man, I, I got I got screwed on the roll of the dice that turn. It's like, well, not if you planned ahead, you, you don't because you can... You can add and increase values of dice with different mechanics and stuff. It is so good. It is so, and again, it's one of those. How did they design it? How did they get all these six different actions that you could take to work together to make this one monolith of a game that just flows and works? And again, I love on your turn, all you do, draft a die, take an action, next person's turn. It doesn't get easier than that. It's just learning what the actions do. You know, someday we'll be able to play games again. Because <laughs> <laughs> coming up after David's interview with us, we're going to talk about card games. And you talked in the last episode about Vampire, right? I did. Uh, we're going to revisit that. But we're going to talk about it from a different perspective. So anyway, the moon pies got eaten from Tulsa all the way to Arlington. But I did save you one moon pie mint flavored and one strawberry. Oh my gosh. Bring them Thursday night. I am going to enjoy a mint that I've never had before. You don't like strawberry, do you? I love strawberry. Well, I'll bring you. We'll share that. We'll go cut that one in half. You You like strawberry too? Oh yeah. It's hard to find around here. I think we're in a moon pie black hole or something. I don't when it know. comes to strawberry, it is. And I'd like to say we don't have mint. Yeah. I mean, what? Well, get the banana out here. Bring the strawberry in. Yes. Get the, yeah. Lose the banana, please. All right. So David Thompson, a award winner. That's right. A squirrely. Forget that BGG thing. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean anything. What? What? A BGG medallion. Please. Please. He's, he's got, he's got a wooden plaque with a squirrel on it. Well, not yet. No, he's got the uh, the war chest. Oh, no, actually, AEG has that. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so, Tony, when you and I get together again and play some games, I want to play some Monolith Arena so we can get some games under our belt as... Golems is going to be coming to us soon as it's now available for pre-order over at Portal Games US. We had Academics last year. We've got Golems this year. I know that we played on Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia, whatever it was. It's just not the same, man. 
I want to mm. sit at a table and I want to move some tokens around and I want to play with the monolith. That's what I want to do. And you probably do too. So to find out more, make sure to go to Portal Games US where you can check out the game Monolith Arena. You got the base game. You can get a cool neoprene mat if you want one. And now the expansion Golems is available for pre-order right now. Again, check out that. Plus other games that are available for pre-order like Detective Season 1 over at portalgamesus.com. We're so excited to have yet another designer on the show. And while this is one that has never been on the show, we have mentioned his name many times because of the great games he's brought us over the past couple of years. He's won a couple of Squirrely Awards. Welcome to the show, David Thompson. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. Right. Even though he hasn't been on the show, Marty, he has been on our YouTube channel as he totally decimates us for Undaunted. That's right. Yep. When Undaunted North Africa came out, we streamed a few uh, shows, uh, games together. Now, you said you got uh, massacred. I never lost. That's what I was about to say. Not only did he did you not lose, you you curb stomped me one time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're telling me is you took it easy on him. Well, I think in the order, the rank order of who's good at Undaunted, it must be Marty, me, then you. So I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> okay, I'm good with that. I, I stink at that game, love the game, would love to play more of it and get better at it. So, you know, but once again, I will be the master of Undaunted Pacific Fleet. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that has not been announced. <laughs> so don't you know that's that is that is that's a suggestion from Tony. So yeah, Osprey's right now freaking out. What did he just say? <laughs> oh, like they like they even heard it in 2020. They might have heard it in 2021, Marty. They didn't hear it yeah, in 2020. That, that's true. But yeah, so David Thompson, as you, if you may not know, uh, designed the game. Him and Trevor Benjamin worked together designed the game Undaunted from um, Osprey. First, they came out with uh, Normandy and then North Africa, which just released. And you have already announced a an expansion coming out next year. Yeah, that's right. Undaunted Reinforcements. So uh, it's got new new units for both games. Uh, add some new, new content to both of them. One of the kind of cool things about that is you can actually go back and play all the original Normandy scenarios with the new units that are in there. Uh, and then some new Ooh. scenarios. But also a solitaire system and a four-player option so you can play teams, two-player teams. And that's coming out, what, two, three weeks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plus, 50. Uh, yeah, plus yeah, 50. I think it's August. I think it's August of 21. Ah, uh, so Gen right. Con release. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. And then, of course, uh, the first game that we played between uh, with you and Trevor was uh, War Chest. Yep. Uh, that yep. came out from AEG a couple years ago, which also won an award from us. Now it has an expansion that came out. Uh, is there anything new on that front as far as a new expansion and new content? Yeah, so the next expansion is called Siege, and it comes out in a month or so. Uh, I think it was a pushback just a little bit because they wanted to make sure they got the um, all the coins just right. So it got a little bit of a delay, but yeah, it comes out in about a month or so. Uh, and as you can probably deduce by the name, it's all about Siege Warfare. So it introduces forts and um, some siege weapons. So I think people are going to like it. If you like no, the Nobility expansion, the first expansion, you'll you'll dig Siege, right? It's just a, a minor gameplay tweak and then four new units. Well, we love them all. <laughs> that's, a, that's a given. So we'll, we'll love that one as well. And then, of course, the successful Kickstarter by Stealth by Sea for what remains is coming is out, I believe. I've still yet to meet you on the table for Pavlov's House. We, we're going to... 
I'm going to make that happen. Yeah, we're going to have I'll a make it happen. Yeah, we'll have to have like a war game weekend or something, right? And Europe Divided that came out earlier this year. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, we're, Europe Divided was that's a that's a fun. It's a little bit different one for me, right? So I mean, still two player head to head, but it's very different than the other ones. So one of the things I'm curious about, David, is you know we talk about the, the secretive jobs that all people have. What do you do in real life? <laughs> What's your secretive job? What would you say you do here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can. So I'm a, I'm an analyst, an intelligence analyst for the Department of Defense, right? So I work at um, the National Air and Space Intelligence Center, uh, which is so I work with the Air Force, and well, I'll probably that that's. That's probably enough. I can you know, we'll just <laughs> oh, leave it there. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. So is that why there's the war games, the, the love for the war games? I keep them very, I keep those two things very, very separate, right? Because um, I do have a security clearance. So I don't, I don't ever mix my day job with my, with my design job. So what you'll see with the war game stuff, it's, it's all, you know, typically World War II, older stuff, right? I try to not, not get too much into the modern world with that. But yeah, there. I would say there's some similar, there's some overlap, right, between the two. Okay, I'm I'm still waiting on my security clearance. They still haven't told me. Marty got interviewed for my security clearance, and so that may be the problem. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I I told you some of the stuff I had said about how you have some friends out over in the Middle East that are kind of questionable, and you take trips over there a lot. But anyway, I'm sure that's not a big deal. It comes back with large sums of money. That's right. That's right. So even though you got all those great games that, that are done or and and some of our are getting ready to come out, you got an expansion come out. Tonight we are having you on to talk about a brand new game that's coming out on Kickstarter. So why don't you tell us about it? Yeah. So the uh it's Sniper Elite. So it people might be familiar with that name if they are, this because they are familiar with the video game. This is gonna be um Rebellion, who's the company that make the video game Sniper Elite. It's gonna be their first board game. I guess about a year or two ago, they decided to start a board game division because Rebellion is a company with tons and tons and tons of IP. So they're a big UK company. They have comic books, video games, all sorts of stuff. The guy that's running that company previously established the board game division at Osprey. And Osprey is the publisher for Undaunted. So when he they decided they were going to stand up a, a company and make a game called Sniper Elite, he, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in working on this? So that's how... Um, I came to work on the the board game adaptation for the video game. Because I'll be honest, I've Marty, I've never played Sniper Elite or any of the 30 that followed after it. So when I was watching some of the videos of it, this is not a game that Tony would play. Yeah. I, I don't need to see a bullet in an x-ray vision going through someone's skull out through their spine. Yeah. Uh, call me an old fuddy-duddy. I don't need that in my game. Yep. Zelda, I can handle <laughs> sniping little bouncy goblin guys and not seeing blood and all. Well, I'll say you, I'll tell you this. You're preaching to the choir because that that's not... So, here, so here's the thing. When he said, you know, really, I'll tell you, go a little bit deeper. When Duncan... So it's Duncan Malloy. He's with, uh, with Rebellion. When he reached out to me, he didn't say, hey, do you want to design Sniper Elite? He said, hey... If you were designing a sniper game, what would it be like, right? And so we we chatted about it. Um, and then I, you know, I, full disclosure, I had not played Sniper Elite before, so I went and uh, instantly researched it. Said, "Hey, is this something I want to work on?" Bought the game, played it a ridiculous amount. What I'll tell you, Tony. So you had the first, the same reaction I had when I first mm-hmm. saw videos, because everything you see are these 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 crazy shots that, you know, you see the exploding body parts and stuff like that. And I was like, "Eh, I'm not really interested in that. When you play the game, you do see that when you take the shot, 
but 99% of the time you're sneaking around setting up the shot, right? So it's a stealth game. When I took the game and said, how do I, how am I going to model? How am I going to evoke the feel that you get when you're playing the game? It's not crazy shots with exploding body parts. It's modeling the stealth element to it and the, 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 you know, the kill shot, the important kill shot and misdirecting people. Immediately, the mechanism I thought of when I was playing the video game and how to recreate that is a hidden movement game. And so uh, a buddy of mine, at the time I was living uh, in the UK, or maybe I just moved back to the US, but a buddy of mine, he playtested a ton of my games and he's a huge hidden movement fan. So I reached out to him, Roger Tankersley is his name. And so he's the co-designer uh, co with me on it. I knew he was the foremost expert on hidden movement games that I knew. And, um, and I love the, the, that genre too. So, um, so that's how I, I, I modeled, if you will, the feeling of Sniper Elite. So it, you could have gone two paths, right? One path would have been some crazy, gory card game that was kind of silly with headshot exploding thing. Or the other was kind of go the opposite end of the spectrum and try to evoke the stealth action part of it. All right, so you're saying it's a hidden movement game. Is this a one versus many type of game? Yep, it's one versus many. So one player will take on the role of the sniper, and the other player or players, up to up to three defenders, will take on the role of the defenders. In typical hidden movement fashion, one player that has the sniper has a, a hidden board. They're moving secretly, trying to complete multiple objectives, which is basically what you're trying to do in the video game. And then the defenders are trying to deduce where he is. Now... Uh, did you state where he is, find him, and kill the sniper? One of the big things that's different than some other hidden movement games is the sniper can spend a decent amount of time actually taking shots, right? Because you have to evoke the, the video game. You have to be a sniper. So it's not just trying to evade. It's not just trying to be, you know, be sneaky the entire time. It is trying to figure, okay, when can I take this calculated shot and throw off the, the guys who are searching for me? I mean, there are a lot of hidden movement type games out there the one versus many what makes this one stand out is there any mechanics which are kind of unique compared to some other ones like uh fury of dracula or Whitechapel, etc yeah yep so probably the way in which we model the snipers stress and and their ability to uh to shoot right so it's sort of a bag manipulation. So we, we started with all sorts of things, right? Hey, how are we going to take a shot? How are we going to model this? We went through tons of different iterations and we ultimately landed on the system where you have a bag and you're pulling tokens from it. You need to pull a number of successes based on the distance that you're attacking. And so uh, and, and the, the board is divided into spaces. So the further away you are from the target, the harder the shot is, right? So you're trying to pull more successes out of a bag. And in that bag are stress tokens and missed tokens and other things. And so it is a kind of a little bit of a push your luck element, right? To like, hey, if I'm going to take this long shot, I'm more likely to miss and I'm more likely to cause noise. But throughout the course of the game, if you make a successful kill, you get to add more success tokens to the bag. So what you'll see is an arc, a sort of natural organic arc to the game where the better the sniper is at killing, the, you know, the more shots he'll be able to, uh, more successes he'll add to the bag so he can take longer and longer shots. And then conversely, okay. the, the defenders get to manipulate the bag in different ways. They can add noise tokens by finding the sniper, et cetera. So it's all about this bag manipulation system for trying to, to achieve success. And what is the success for both sides, for the sniper and for the other side? Yeah, so the sniper's trying to complete a couple of objectives, right? So at the beginning of the game, there's there's uh, the board is divided into spaces that you move through and then regions of the board. And there's four regions. They will have to complete two different objectives in two different regions. 
Uh, and so they're moving through the board, trying to get to those. And of course, the defenders are trying to cut off their passage and deduce where they are. The defenders win by getting to the sniper and getting to the space and attacking him twice. So there's going to be a part sort of, I mean, this is a huge overgeneralization probably, but the, the typical arc of the game is the sniper starts out, the defenders are trying to deduce where he is. This At some point, they'll probably get kind of on his trail right as around the time as he's closing in on that first objective. He will, when he completes the first objective, if they don't know where he is, he's going to reveal where he is. And then there's a sort of trigger to the game where, okay, well, now we know where he is, let's close in on him. And he's got to rehide and escape. Now, one thing I will say is that my buddy Roger and I uh, both felt really strongly that we did not want this to be a long, drawn-out game. We wanted it to be tense from the very beginning. So the number of turns that you you go into the game before there's some ability for the defenders to know what's going on is like two or, two or three at the most, right? So from the very beginning of the game, you're going to have this that, that fun tension that you get when you experience the best part of a hidden movement game. And what tension is that? So that's the tension of, and this is, we, we, we say it all the time when we're playing it. You should always feel like there's no chance for you to win on both sides simultaneously, right? Like you're, you're the sniper and you're like, man, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. They, they know where I am. They're closing in on me. I'm never going to make it. And then on the flip side, the defender's like, oh, we're never going to get him. He's, you know, he, we can't stop him. Both sides are simultaneously feeling that. And to me, that's the, that's when a hidden movement game's at its best. So whenever you feel like you're going to lose, well, Marty, this game is perfect for me. I always feel like I'm going to lose. So in your playtesting, what has been your uh, balance of winning of the one versus many? Is it pretty equal or is one side harder to play than the other? No, it's pretty equal. I mean, I would say, I would say, so, you know, there's always, in, in these kind of games, I will say, first of all, there's a lot of group think or meta think, right? Where you see some groups will say, oh, it's easier to play as a sniper. Some groups will say, oh, it's easier to play as the defenders. Over all the play testing averaged out, it, it, it comes to pretty much equal. It's probably a little bit easier to play as the sniper in the very first game or so because the defenders kind of have to, you know, get their, how are they going to work together? What's the, what's the plan, et cetera. Um, but like every hidden movement game, there's a ton of pressure on the sniper not to screw it up. And what I mean by that is, oh, did I accidentally move here? I shouldn't have done that. And I forgot to alert you, that kind of stuff. So probably a little bit easier to win as the sniper in the first game or so. And then, but they also have a little bit extra added pressure to not, you know, to make sure they got the, the hidden movement part right. One of the games, David, uh, first played was Nuns on the Run. Did you ever play that game? I have not played. So I have not. I've played... Um, I've played most of them, like Fear of Dracula, uh, Scotland Yard. Uh, probably my personal favorite, if you've played it, is Spectre Ops. That's yep. probably my favorite hidden movement game. Okay. From Emerson. Well, yep. From yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. One of the things about Nuns on the Run was always the check of what you just said. Did you hear me? Can you see me? All that stuff. And that drug that game out yeah. terribly. Yeah. So there's none of that, right? So when the sniper moves, there's some pretty straightforward rules about this kind of stuff. So if the sniper, the sniper, sniper can move up to three spaces on their turn and then take an action. An action can accomplish the objective or take a shot. It's pretty straightforward. If they move one space, they're never going to alert. They can be moving around, right around the defender's touching the adjacent to the space and they can't they won't alert but if they run which is moving two or three spaces if they start move adjacent to or end their turn adjacent to a defender they alert the defender so they say hey this defender is alerted and so by process of elimination even if they you know alert multiple defenders that provides tons and tons of information to the defenders and then both sides have all sorts of you know 
special powers, right? So each each defender player controls an officer who has unique powers for themselves, right? Based on um, what they pick at the beginning of the game. And then the sniper has a loadout of gear that they get to choose. And they can pick that based on the scenario, whatever they think is best for the scenario. So uh, give me an example of that. Yeah. So uh, so there's some scenarios. So there's multiple boards, right? So unlike Spectre Ops, which, again, is you know one of my favorites, but it's only a single board, right? So over time, you, if you play it a ton, you'll say, hey, I'd like to see a different geography to this board. So we've designed uh, multiple boards. Some of the boards have unique or at least, you know, uh, geography that's limited just to a couple of those. And so some of them might have a cliffside where the sniper doesn't have to take climbing gear, right? You could, there's multiple routes around the cliff, but if you have climbing gear, that'll let you scale the cliff and the defenders might not know you used it. And so the, the game uses, um, techniques like, just like some other hidden movement games where you say, okay, I've used a piece of gear, but I'm not revealing to you what. So you don't know if I've used my swimming gear, my climbing gear, you know, a, a uh, silencer, you know, all sorts of different things you can do. So you're all you're revealing is I've done something. So some of the gear is unique to the board or not unique, but specialized for some of the board designs. And then some of it is just like sound masking where you can say, OK, I've done I've played in, uh, a piece of equipment. I can mask my sound. And so maybe I move past you and you don't know. So it's a lot of, you know, kind of sort of cat and mouse and bluffing to it. And you said the game, uh, you want to make sure it wasn't drawn out. So how long does the game last? I would probably tops out at an hour, right? 45 minutes to an hour is really what is probably the average game. What's the player count? So it's two to four, right? Uh, it's because you could play one versus one or one versus up to one versus three. Though uh, David Turtsy's done a solitaire system for it. So you can play as the sniper solitaire. I don't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> Hide and seek by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, you know, it's funny, uh, because, uh, Tony, you know, Tony mentioned a, a lot of the war games that I design. When I'm designing my solitaire or when I design my war games, almost always there's their solitaire start. But, uh, with Undaunted and with Sniper Elite, those kind of games that I start as multiplayer, I don't like to design solitaire systems for those games. I like them to be, I, I just make the multiplayer version. That's it. But um, but David Turtsy's actually designing the solitaire for both of them, both for Undaunted and for uh, Sniper Elite. So the Kickstarter is going on right now when this um, episode uh, drops, so people can see how much it costs. Do if they haven't seen it yet, what is the base cost of the game? So I don't know. I should have gotten this information. Uh, I do. I can't tell you what the cost of the game is. I know that there's multiple. You can't or you won't. I don't. Us. I don't know the answer. Okay. I don't know the answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know the answer. I'm ill prepared for this question. Um, <laughs> I can tell you. How could you be ill prepared for how our can, questions? Can, can you you yeah. listen to this show, man. <laughs> so I didn't do my. I didn't do my homework. So I can tell. He's you. ready. He's ready for the lawnmower question, but he's not ready for how much did I've you Going to I've been waiting okay. for this lawnmower question for years, man. For years. <laughs> there are multiple versions of the game. So there's going to be the base version, which is just the game, right? There's going to be a, a deluxe version, which includes stuff like miniatures for it. Uh, and then there's going to be an add-on, which will be like extra boards. I mean, the entire point of not having the minis in it is to make it a competitive price. So I, I'll, I'm not going to venture a guess because I'll be wrong and then I'll get you know in trouble for saying it. But I don't think it's going to be overly expensive for the for the regular base game. Um, so the, does the regular base game, you said the Deluxe has miniatures. Does the regular have standees? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, so, so he, how much does it cost? I don't know. Does it have I don't know. How does, does it have work? a board game in it? <laughs> I think there's a game. I can tell you anything you want to know about the gameplay. I could not tell you anything about the the Kickstarter presentation of the game, right? So I'm just okay. the designer, man. They don't let me make important decisions like this. Okay, okay. he's the brains behind the curtain, Mark. <laughs> yeah, he's there you go. Don't don't be looking behind this curtain here. There ain't nothing here. Oh my god! But, but this is how the game works and how it plays, and you're going to enjoy it. So just trust me when you go hit the Kickstarter link that should be in our show notes, <laughs> and and enjoy. Do you know when the game is coming? Yeah, out? I do know. Oh, well, okay. So I do know that it, it is coming in 2021. Okay, uh, actually fulfilling that, that, in that 2021. Narrows it down. I know that. I know that. Now, it originally, this date, this date does not apply anymore. Originally, it was going to launch on Kickstarter in March. And obviously, because of COVID, it got pushed back. Uh, and originally, it was going to fulfill like at the very, very end of 2020 or very beginning of 2021. My assumption now is that slipped back until probably next summerish time frame, right? Okay. And they'll probably, my guess is that they'll probably sequence it with, you know, Gen Con slash S and time frame. So Marty, I feel like I'm interrogating a bad spy. Okay. <laughs> a really bad spy. <laughs> oh, man. Are you done with the, the the core design? Are we now fine tuning it? Are we ready to go? Yeah, everything. Okay. No. So I'll, I'll tell you, this is, this is the awesome part because, and this is just like when Duncan was at Osprey, they do fantastic development. So we, Roger and I gave them the design months and months ago, right? I mean, we gave them the design, I think, before the original launch date. And so they've been developing it since then. So I think, you know, uh, they've done, they've done a good job on that part. And plus we had to get the design to David Turksy early enough that he could work on the, the solitaire system for it. And I will say that if you haven't heard of Rebellion and you were just like, oh, who is this? This is their first time making a game. You know, looking at them, they're, like you said, they are a huge company. It's almost like when a riot came out with Mechs versus Minions. It's like, yeah. sure, that was their first game, but they got the clout behind to make sure that it's going to come to print and everything so you can trust them. I feel the same way uh, here with Bay and with, with how big it is. And it's, if this is correct, I'm seeing on the internet, this is interesting. One of their subsidiaries is Cubicle 7, mm-hmm. uh, which makes all the RPGs that I'm that I'm playing right now, like Warhammer and stuff. So they own a lot of different things. Tons. Yeah, tons and tons of IPs. Yeah. And and I mean, it's like it's I was at um PAX Unplugged last year. We actually demoed uh Sniper Elite at PAX Unplugged. And so Rebellion brought over their video game guys to help with the 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 booth. And so I got to meet those guys, which was fun, but it's, it was really interesting because like you're saying, yes, this is their first board game. They are, a, they've got tons and tons and tons of gamer blood, obviously, you know, there at the company. So right, Marty, I, I'm, I'm a bad investigator or interrogator. I just forgot my question. <laughs> but, oh, now, now I remember. Now I remember. He's not going to be able to answer anyway. I mean, we're <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well here. That's true. <laughs> well, let's see. So, what Sniper Elite should I pick up and play? I mean, I'm just dropping money left oh, and right here on video games. Which one should I probably give a good try? So Sniper Elite 4 is the one that I was playing primarily when, when I designed the game. And it's really good. I mean, so full disclosure, I'm just not a video game guy, uh, mostly because of lack of time, right? Like I'll find something and I'll, I'll play it, you know, Slay the Spire, something like that. I'll play it a lot. But I'm not a huge video game guy, but it, it is really, genuinely, it is really good. It's a really good stealth. If you like that, if you like the stealth action kind of game, it's good. No, Tony, it's not on the Switch. You'll have to get a PC to play it. Yeah. No, it's on the Xbox and never, you know, but, but, uh, yes, not on the Switch. Uh, Xbox 360? <laughs> Uh, well, some of the sniper. I don't know if Sniper Elite 4 is on there. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Hey, leave me alone, man. I, I, you got to go with what you got, okay? <laughs> I, I, I totally, I'm surprised the sucker's still working after all these years. <laughs> well, it never cranks up anymore now that the Switch is, mm-hmm. you know, taking up all the time and made me buy another game today. That's fair. So, uh, so this game is currently on Kickstarter. It's going to be going for X amount of days. I would ask you, but I'm going to assume that you don't know. Look, just go check the link at our web at our website. You see how much it is, when it's going to be over. Uh, check out the deluxe version and everything like that. So, uh, David, anything else to add to Sniper Elite before we move on? Oh, man. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting, but no, that's you. I think you guys have, have run me out of the very little bit of information I did have. So I think I'm exhausted now with, with the Sniper Elite info. You designed the game. What do you mean? <laughs> we ran you out. <laughs> you're asking all the hard questions, right? Like who who could have ever imagined you're going to ask how much it costs and, and you know when it's, when it's going to be on Kickstarter and crazy tough questions like that. All right, David, you've listened to this show before. You know that anytime we have a first time guest on the show, we always like to play a game with them. And it's a game we call... Rank them. In rank them, we are going to give you three items that you are going to rank. For example, I may say vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate. And David, you will rank those in any way that you want. And you tell us why you rank them that way. Do you understand the rules of this game? I do, I do understand the rules. I was hoping, and I figured this wasn't the case, I was hoping you actually did leak the questions before time so I could prep my answers, but apparently <laughs> I've just learned that's not the case. Well, I already know that one of my questions, because of what you said in the interview, is going to fall flat on its face, Uh-oh. but it's too late to change now. So let me go ahead and get that one out of the way. I'll go first. Here we go. As a man who said, I don't like to play a lot of video games. Here are the, so the top video games from 2005 when Sniper Elite was released. Splinter Cell, Battlefield 2, and Call of Duty 2. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, so I have not played Splinter Cell or Battlefield. I know them. I know what they are. Uh, I have played Call of Duty. So I'm going to say, oh, man. I'm going to say Call of Duty because I've played it and I love World War II. Right, so I'm assuming Call of Duty Two. Can I? Can I? Like, is that World War Two? Is the is the is it the? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we're gonna okay. say Call of Duty, then we're gonna say Splinter Cell because I love stealth, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna say Battlefield because again, it's if it's World War Two, I'm gonna feel bad because I would probably like the 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 uh, context for it, but I just don't. I know the least about it. All right, for me, Marty, it's going to be Splinter Cell, Call of Duty 2, and Battlefield in reverse alphabetical order because I have played none of them. Oh, okay. I'm going to say Call of Duty 2 because I have played that game and it is a uh, a World War II uh, game. I'm going to say Splinter Cell, even though I haven't played a lot of it. I know a lot of people are wanting Ubisoft to make a new version of that game and they're just waiting for it. And uh, then Battlefield to uh, pulling up the rear, even though I do like the current Battlefields more than the current Call of Duties. All right. For my questions, we're going to go even deeper into your psyche. Rank, please. French fries or chips, since you lived in the UK. Onion rings and tater tots. Oh, this is easy, man. This is easy. This is easy. Onion rings, by far, like orders of magnitude better than everything else. After that, I don't really care. But, um... I guess French fries and then tater tots. For me, uh, yeah, uh, easy. If you get to find a place that has some homemade onion rings and there's some good ones around here, 
homemade, hand-dipped, beer-battered onion rings any day of the week. Now, there are some uh, really nice places around here that do fresh-cut fries. So I'll say that is number two. And I wish somebody would make homemade tots, but anytime you get tots, I don't think they're ever homemade because they have to be processed in that little wedge. So they're usually always frozen. So I'll go with those last. And Marty, some of the best tater tots you posted over on our um, Discord channel about, you know, you went to Price's Chicken Coop. They used to use tater tots underneath all the grease of the chicken and everything. So (gasps) it would soak in, but they stopped that because they've gotten skimpy on their portions. But back in the day, man... Oh, you'd go over there and that tater tot would be just soaking with the uh, chicken grease from the fried chicken. That was some oh, good eating there. For me, I'm going to base this on what holds ketchup the best. Ooh. And that's going to be, of course, French fries. Because you can scoop and they can and the ketchup can lay on top. Sure. And then and then it's going to have to go with um, tater tots. Even though they're round, they, they have a, the ridges of a tater tot can grab onto the ketchup. Onion ring. That's a disaster waiting to happen. It's circular. It's going to slide off. And usually the good onion rings, the, the it's not a crispy batter, Marty. I don't like the crispy batter onion rings, so it kind of slides off. I don't know about you or David. If, what y'all, what, what's the batter you like on an onion ring? I like the flaky, crispy kind. Yeah, I, I kind of don't care about the batter as much. I care about how the, making sure that the onion's done right. You know what I mean? It needs to be well, you know, well done. It needs to have a good flavor to it. The batter's whatever. But but I'll tell you, you should have asked fried fried pickles versus onion rings. And then I would be here all mm. night talking about which is better. Mm. Uh, I could have, but that wouldn't have fit the category. <laughs> but, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, I, I could have done that. would have been a tough question. But, but do you, is your onion ring, do you like it soggy when it pulls out of the um, fried portion of it? Or do you want it to hang on there? Hang on there. Hang yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. The, the worst thing is taking a bite of an onion ring and the entire onion oh, comes yeah. out and you're left mm-hmm. with the shell of that. That's horrible. Yeah, that's horrible. That's the worst. All right. Well, you know what? My second one is also a food question. So uh, it happens to be Shark Week when we're recording this. And uh, last night to celebrate, we got some fish for, for Shark Week. And I thought, okay, let's uh, let's throw this one here. Now, David, I believe you're from Georgia. I am. That's right. So one of the, one of these will make sense to you and Tony and to everybody else. You're going to go, you eat what? But here they are. Flounder, cod, catfish. Oh, oh man. I mean, prepare- whoa, 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 David, hold on. Are we, how are we fixing these? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, well, typically we'll say fried. Oh, so, so we're going beer batter them? Sure. Or salt and pepper them? Oh my I mean, god! It's very important. It's very important yeah. when we're talking these three fish. However, you want them. Okay, fine. I'm okay. Very okay. How, how about this? You have you prepare them how you want, and then you list them how how they're prepared, how you like them. Oh man! And it was flounder and cod, right? Flounder, flounder cod, first. cod, catfish. Okay, I'm going to tell you. My order is going to be cod first, followed by flounder, both of which would be grilled with with probably like peppercorn and um sea salt or something and i listed them first because i don't really care they're both good i'd grill them and i'd be happy but fried catfish is the way to go man like it's not even close right Mm -hmm. not even close so you confuse me how you list i'm I'm listing the two that didn't really matter first and get them out of the way and then i'm saving the best for last so the best for last is fried catfish gotcha by far so usually i don't know if marty explained the rankum rules usually you know (laughs) sorry i was setting up for the big one Setting up for the fried catfish. He was hiding his big moment. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
<laughs> All right. The way I'm going to rank these is based on the chance of me surviving without getting a bone stuck in my throat. Oh, good one. Good one. Thank you. Avoids the whole fried and salt and pepper thing. So we're going to go with cod as number one to avoid getting choked on a bone. Then flounder, you've got to be careful. You know, sometimes you got to, you got, they, they got those small bones. They'll take you out. And a catfish, it'll up and kill you. <laughs> plain and simple. <laughs> okay. Wow. You, you threw a good twist in there that I did not think about. So let's assume that all these are flayed really well because you make a very good point. So for me, I'm for number one, I got to go with fried catfish. That big old thick. It's a lot of meat. The bottom feeder of the lakes around here is just really, really good. Since I like more of a thicker cut, I, then I'm going to go with cod. We actually had fish and chips last night. And typically, I believe you lived in the UK. I believe typically the fish is cod. That's right. Yep. Uh, of some sort. And even though I like flounder, it's just too thin. You know how sometimes you get flounder and it's barely any meat at all. And it's just the breading. And then, or they leave the skin on it. I do not like it when they leave the skin on there either. Oh, you don't like the skin? I do not. One of the best thing about a fried flounder is we talked about ketchup holding on to French fries. Mm -hmm. Tartar sauce on a flounder and how you can scoop it up. Oh, man. Mm. Good eats right there. Good eats. We just need to do a food podcast. Not that we know anything about food, Marty. Yeah. That's all there is to it. We tend to, we tend to be more uh, passionate about that, it seems. You're less grumpy oh. about it, for sure. Oh, well, yeah, we're talking food. <laughs> Why would you be grumpy about food? All right. For the last rank them. Woo! Um, here we go. These are all referencing military tanks. Okay. These are tanks. Okay. The Abrams, the Sherman, and the Tiger. Uh, I don't really care for modern stuff. So Abrams is out, right? It's so it's last. Oh man. It depends. Okay. So it depends on the model of Sherman, right? Cause there's 48,000 versions. I'll help you. Patton's Sherman, George C. Scott's Sherman. Ooh, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say first is Sherman, second is Tiger, last is, is Abrams by 10 miles. I, I will also list Sherman first because of the historical reasons behind it. Then I'm going to list Abrams because I do like the, the modern look, the modern tank, and then Tiger last. For me, I'm going to list them in the um, order in, of which I've done them in a, is it Ravel models? Oh, yeah. So the first one I put together was the Tiger. Had a blast doing that. Uh, putting the treads on was a bear, but I got them on. And then I did the Sherman, and then I did the Abrams. So for me, the the models uh, that I put them together on was Tiger, Sherman, and Abrams. Speaking, I don't know if you guys have seen, but uh, Gale Force 9 had just announced this week they're coming out with uh, a tank game. Remember, they did a tank game a long time ago. We had to assemble the tanks. I think they're taking that base rule set. But now they have the license for the World of Tanks MMO. Mm. And they're coming out with a tank game, and basically the tanks are already pre-assembled. It looks it looks pretty cool. The rules set for that tanks game they re released many years ago that Tony, you and I played, I thought was pretty solid. So it'll be interesting That's to see uh, when the world of tanks come out. See if they keep the same rules. It was kind of like an X-wing type system, wasn't it? One hundred percent. Yes, because yeah. Uh, you you could have different people that's running the tank. You know, you could uh, do some upgrades to the tank, etc. That's cool. Do you guys know, um, speaking of Tiger and Sherman, do you guys, have you guys ever seen the movie Fury? Yes. With um, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. That, there's a scene in it where they fight the tiger. I'm sure if you've seen it, you remember that. It's multiple Shermans against the tiger. Mm -hmm. And they're backing up across the yeah. field. Yeah. That, that tiger, I think it was one of the last operational ones in the world. And it was at a museum that wasn't far from where I lived in the UK. So they would bring it out and oh. you could actually see the tank. It was awesome. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a cool scene. So, Mr. Historian, Mr. Knowledgeable, in the um, movie with Clint Eastwood, oh, I can't remember what it was, where they they shot the tank. No, it wasn't Dirty Harry. It was the one where he was El Camino. Okay, I'll stop. You done? Yeah. Okay, are you sure? Not well, until I think of another one. So, the one where they shoot the tiger, and it's painted, and it's not the back of it. They always say the tiger was vulnerable in the back due to the armor piercing. Is that really, or you could, that's the only way to damage I mean, it. I, I mean, it's tiger. more vulnerable in the back. It wasn't super vulnerable. It was obvious. I think the best place to hit it, and this is hard to pull off, is from the top, right? But you could mm-hmm. actually have like anti-tank rifles and stuff that would, would pierce it. That's That was the most vulnerable place. Okay. What was the movie with Clint Eastwood when he was a truck driver and he had the orangutan? Yes. Absolutely. Clyde. His name was Clyde. Mm-hmm. I know exactly which one, but I don't know what it is and I'm not going to Google. It's not worth my time. <laughs> okay. Wow. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Grumpy Tony's back. <laughs> this is the moment you've been waiting for. As we ask everybody that comes on the show, what kind of lawnmower do you have? Okay. But before we, before I answer the question, do you remember when you guys had Martin Wallace on it? He was like, what are you asking me about? Right. He had exactly. no clue. Yes. And he said like sheep. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had, uh, <laughs> Isaac on and Isaac's like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of lawnmower I have. It's in my, it's in the garage. I'm ready for this answer. Right. Okay. Here we go. So, so when I moved from the UK to the US, I had to rebuy everything. And so I spent days and days, weeks anguishing over this, what this decision was going to be. So everything in my garage is cobalt, right? So Lowe's brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's all electric, right? So it's all, it's all blue. It's all electric. It's all 80 volt. And so I've got the family. I've got the lawnmower. I've got the weed eater. I've got the the edger. I've got the blower. And this past year, I added the snow blower to the family. You know, those things are useless down here in the south. <laughs> so you know, so so this this year, we I didn't use it one time. And I told my wife, if I can get a new snow blower every year and not have to blow snow, then it's worth the price. <laughs> Oh, so David, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for providing Tony and I many hours of enjoyment over the past couple of years. Seriously, you you keep knocking them out. You and Trevor Benjamin's knocking them out with War Chest and Undaunted. I'm so glad to hear that Undaunted seems to be successful and it's going to have some long legs for you and Osprey over the years. And as Tony teased early on, I mean, there's so many other things uh, that be, that can be done with that, but that's not, you're not just working on that. You've got this one coming out now. You've got other uh, ovens in the fire, ovens in the fire. That's good, Marty. Irons in the fire. <laughs> I mean, in fact, as far as other irons in the fire, is there anything you'd like to tease or tell us about that maybe you're working on for 21 or 22? And the military's not going to come and hoist you up by the <laughs> I think, <petards. laughs> I think, well, I mean, obviously Sniper Elite's the the current, you know, the current focus. Uh, next year, we talked about Undaunted Reinforcements. We talked about War, war Chest uh, Siege. The only other one that I have coming out imminently that we didn't discuss is um, by Stealth and Sea. Tony mentioned it in passing. It comes out probably next month or the the, the month following that, and that's a a, a more proper sort of war, uh, war game, if you will, right? More so than Undaunted, mm-hmm. and that's that's about Italian human torpedo operators that would ride torpedoes. They would be released by a submarine, ride a torpedo, get to their target ship, get off the torpedo, detach a warhead, attach it to the target, and blow it up. So. Most people don't don't know this, but six guys riding torpedoes sank two battleships in Alexandria, British battleships. It basically t- changed the balance of power in the Mediterranean for, for a short period of time. 
Wow. And is this, who's publishing that? So this is Dan Versen Games. That's who I usually work with, or DVG. Some, you know, people may know mm-hmm. by that. Usually when I'm working on uh, war games, that's who I work with. And is that a, a multiplayer game? And so it is solitaire or a co-op up to three players. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we'll definitely be getting a copy of that, Tony, because that sounds really cool. We could play. In this day and time, it's easy for us to play, have a chance to play solo games. Yep. Absolutely. And it's a submarine game next to, so if you were to ever rank them for me, it's, you know, trains and then submarines, I, you know, they're, they're top notch on me on any type of game. It hasn't been announced so. yet, but next year, everything's on track. That was my pun not intended for my first <laughs> oh. train game. Oh, sweet. Ooh. Very yep. cool. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So when that happens, we'll, we'll be talking again, talking trains, hopefully not just economics. Is this, are you, are you already working with somebody or is this something that you need to pitch? No, this is done. This has been okay, signed cool. for a few years now. So it's been in the works for a while. That's great. Hey, there's a little bit of tidbit for everybody. Got a train game coming out from you. I can't wait to see what you do with the train game, man. I'm always very interested in your designs. Your Europe Divided was really cool. Uh, like a little bit of a twist and a take on Twilight Struggle. I right. thought that was really interesting. So I love the way you you look at games and twist them up a little bit. I guess why I can't wait to see uh, your new stealthy game that's coming out, Sniper Elite. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I am so excited to have Vanessa back on the show to review some more games with me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) See, Tony doesn't do stuff like that. It's it's funny. Vanessa, I have a question for you. Okay. Okay. And it's because you wanted me to ask you this question when we started this segment. I have no idea what you're talking about. What's one of your favorite memories as a child? Okay. I'm sure I've probably told you this before, but one of my favorite memories is I would sit outside my brother's bedroom. He was four years older than me. And of course, he could not stand the younger sister and his door would be locked. And I would listen to the music that he was playing. (laughs) Yeah. And it was Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchet, uh, and just, I was exposed to a lot of music. <laughs> but that is one of my favorite childhood memories. Oh, so, so you mentioned some Southern rock and stuff like that. But was there anything like, you know, like Doobie Brothers or Chicago or anything oh, like that? yes, yes. It was all kinds of music, all kinds of music. So stuff from like the late 70s, like uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and maybe, did he ever listen to Hall of Notes? I know you're a Hall of Notes person. Was he a Hall of Notes person? You know what? I can't remember because by the time Hall of Notes came around, he, he was in college. So the reason why I asked that is because during that time of late 70s and early 80s, there was this thing called adult-oriented rock. And it consists of AOR. Do you remember, you remember the radio stations? They had like AOR stations. Uh, I do not don't? remember okay. that. So we actually had a station here that was AOR rock. So it was kind of it was kind of light rock. It was like I, the stuff I said: some Doobie Brothers, some Chicago, Earth, Wind, and Fire, yeah. uh, Hall Notes, Boz Skaggs. We it called was, it easy listening. Easy listening at the time. Elevator music. Uh, elevator music. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> I always thought easy listening and elevator music was the same thing. But we're talking a, a lot about it. We need to get into the type of music that we want to talk about, which is... Well, that's what this is. That uh-huh. type of music is yeah. now called yacht rock. So what used to be easy listening... Or adult-oriented rock... Is now yacht rock. Yacht rock. So They gave it a new name. I had never heard of this term before until recently. Mm -hmm. And one of the games we're going to be talking about is a game that Funko sent us called Yacht Rock. 
I went and looked this up. It's like, I don't even know what this is. This was a term that came about in like 2012, 2013. And it's that style of music that I was just talking about, like some easy funk, some R&B, some light rock. And it was a, it was put with this name, Yacht Rock. To me, it just has a very pretentious name to it. So I thought, what is this? I just see people sitting on a yacht, sipping champagne, <laughs> you know, wearing sundresses and hats. I don't know. So I asked the uh, Alexa to start playing and it went, oh, Okay, so that's what this is. I actually enjoy this style of music and stuff. It's just, I just yeah. wish they hadn't given it this name, Yacht Rock. <laughs> but from that, Funko came out with a game entitled Yacht Rock, where the goal of the game is actually one of two things. One, you're trying to create a hit Yacht Rock song, and you're trying to make sure that you have some nice clothes and everything to go to a nice little soiree when that album is released because you want to hobnob with other musicians and producers and stuff because you've made it big in the Yacht Rock Music Club. <laughs> you know what? My my mind has just gone to, didn't I say one time uh, how we watched the movies and there was a phrase and we said, holiday hoobie woody. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's also Napoleon Dynamite. And you know the phrase from that... I don't understand a word that you just said. <laughs> Yacht, pretentious. Listen, it is good, easy listening music because we did put it on that station. Yes, and we enjoyed it as we were playing this it, game. It is, I love that kind of music. We heard some really good songs that really took us way back. I always like to talk about components. So yes. we put the game on the table. We open it up. Immediately, I love the little guitar picks that mm -hmm. you use. Real guitar picks. As I Real showed guitar Adam, picks. he's a musician, he said, heck yeah, I could use these. Yeah. <laughs> and the box looks like a little forty-five coming out of it. <laughs> that little, I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yep. I have lots of good music memories. And this is from Prospero Hall, and I like how on the box it's Prospero and Hall, like Hall and Oates. Uh, oh, yep, yep, yeah. yep. The font and everything is really good. And then the little pieces are little little records that yep. are nice. They're little point pieces, and uh, the actual main board is an album. And on one side, you've got some cards that you're going to put around it, five cards. And at the core, this is a set collection game. But there's two types of cards that you're trying to collect. First, you're going to have a couple cards out here that are singles or records that you're trying to produce. And it's going to have it's going to have icons indicating whether it's tropical music or guitar music. And on your turn, you're going to draft a card from one of these five slots in hopes of getting the right combination to complete one of these single songs. And after you draft a card, you're going to draw two cards from the deck and put one to the left of where you drew and one to the right. So now the slots on either side of you have one additional card. So as you play the game, there's going to be some slots that have more cards than others. But that's not the only thing that you're trying to collect as you play because the cards also have different clothing on them for this party that you're going to go to after you release your album or during the next phase of the game. Right. And those items are, there's different shirts, hat, sunglasses, shoes, so different things like that. But you also have to pay attention to the color. Because you have two soiree party cards that are going to be down on here, and it's going to tell you uh, what the location of the party is going to be and what color you should be wearing to this party. But you don't know what items that they're looking for on the other side. So all you're trying to do is like, well, I know this is looking for lavender and pink. So I'm going to try to get some lavender and pink It was stuff. coral. Coral. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the whole pastel thing, right? <laughs> 
So you're trying to complete albums or records. And if you happen to do that, if you happen to match all the icons on an album, you turn in those cards, you get seven points and you get a little record token uh, that's worth a point um, every round. And it may be nitpicking, but I think it was eight. I think when you when you did a single by yourself, you got eight points. So while Marty's double checking that, if you you could collaborate with another player to create a single. So there's three components that you need to make a single. If you have two and they have one, you can say, hey, let's put our components together, create our single a little duet, if you will, mm-hmm. but you would only get three points a piece. Mm-hmm. Which is good if you're playing with like three to six well, players. Because if somebody's in the lead, maybe you and somebody else who's toward the back of the pack want to work together to make a duet to try to catch up on those in the lead. And I said it was three to six players. Now, this is interesting. The book says two to six players. Which but, is how we played. But the rules on the inside during setup doesn't give an option for hmm. three players. Now, I figured out what it would be for two players. So I'm not oh, yeah. sure whether something's missing in the rules or what. And speaking of rules, as always, if you listen to this show long enough, I don't teach rules correctly. You do get eight points for a single and three points for a duet. I know my points. <laughs> you know your points. <laughs> So what you're going to keep doing is you're going to keep drafting cards from this uh, preset deck based on the number of players. Once those cards are gone, then you're going to pick which soiree that you want to attend, Mm -hmm. flip over those cards, and then you're going to get some points. You're going to get points for every different color item of clothing that you're wearing. And then if you happen to match on the other side the type of clothing and color that you're looking for, you're also going to be able to gain some bonus points. That's right. And the bonus might have been get four points for every hat that you have, whereas your usual point is um, one. You get one for your shirt, one for your shorts. But then the hats gave bonus, and I think the sunglasses also gave bonus, and if you happen to have those. Right. So what I found when we played, oh, well, let me say, the rounds go fairly quick. Yeah, and It was three, a quick game. And there's only three rounds in a game. What I noticed, and maybe have been because it was just the two of us, we didn't have a lot of opportunity to make the singles. It was mostly the clothing that we were collecting. So it was the outfits that we were making. So I don't know whether it was just a bad shuffle by me or just Mm -hmm. a bad draws, but we didn't get a lot of chance to make records. So at the core of this game, this is a set collection game. You're trying Mm -hmm. to collect two different types of sets to either make albums or wear the right clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, albums or outfits, or outfits to go go to a party, and the person with the most points at the end wins. This is a light family game. This is if you get some Very friends light. around, three to six people. You're going to probably finish in 30 minutes, something like that. I told you right in the middle of playing this game, and every time we talk about it or think about it, a song comes to mind, and it's exactly what this game is. Easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a yacht rock song. I know, one hundred percent, and that is yep. by um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Is that correct? I, th- I can't remember. It's, a, it's an R and B group. I think it's Earth, Wind, and Fire. By the way, uh, listening to yacht rock, and I was hearing some Earth, Wind, and Fire. I forgot how good that band is. That is a good, good. A lot of good <laughs> musicians in that band. If you haven't ever listened to Earth, Wind, and Fire, go back and listen to stuff. The these percussion section and the ah. Uh, oh, Such a good band. So anyway, that is Yacht Rock. Yacht Rock. Yep. And next, Vanessa, there's something else probably from your childhood that you enjoy just like I do. And with three sons, they also enjoy this as we still buy them every (laughs) week at the grocery store. And that is the Pop-Tarts game. 
Pop-Tarts. Love Pop-Tarts. Also from Funko and designed by Prospera Hall. And once again, you love to talk about components. Talk about this box. Okay. Well, you're going too fast. I like to talk about other stuff too. So... Memory. I'm not used to this. I'm used to I, Tony, who's like, just get in, talk about the game, and get out. No, I talk too much. I could talk the whole time, but another memory. And we talked about Scooby-Doo on another episode, so if you haven't listened to that, you need to listen to it. So getting up on Sunday morning. So before Scooby-Doo, I would go and pop my Pop-Tart right in the toaster and get it all toasty and sit and watch all my cartoons. So when you pulled this out, it did bring back a lot of memories. The box is beautiful. It looks like a box of pop tarts it's the the size and shape of a pop tarts box (laughs) it's got the kellogg's logo it's obviously you know they got the rights to be able to do that now before we move i do want to ask uh growing up and and to now what do you prefer iced pop tarts or non-iced well i don't know i don't and i have a surprise oh you do i do so please tell me you're going to pull out a concord great pop tart around here which i haven't had in years i looked that I cannot find a Concord grape Pop-Tart. So you and the listeners just need to talk among yourselves while I go get it. That's right. I'm on the hunt for grape Pop-Tarts. If there's anybody out there who can hook me up with some grape Pop-Tarts, I will give you an email, an email address. Well, I wish you could send it to email. I will give you a mailing address and I will pay to have a box of great pop tarts i don't know why those went off the market it's it's a standard fruit it's like your blueberry it's like your strawberry and cherry why is it why is it they're great pop tarts anymore anyway i think i've actually talked to, to this about uh tony before oh uh, vanessa's coming back oh my something smells good okay i'm back so you asked which i liked better yes yeah. between iced and non-iced I've never had iced, and I've never heard of that. I've never heard of freezing a Pop-Tart. Oh, I was talking of icing on the Pop-Tart. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Icing on the Pop-Tart in, or plain. In my excitement to eat something, along with talking a lot, I also like to eat. I jumped to my surprise too soon. <laughs> 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 okay, we're going to have to do both, these both at the same time. So, uh, well, now I like to ice. Growing up, it was non-icy. It was I like, yes, and to toast it and have the butter sink down in it. Oh, I forgot the butter. Did you, you put a pat of butter on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but my. You know what? I think I have to say non-frosted, but so. Frosted. I guess that's a better term yeah, than frosted. iced. So, in the game, you are going to put your Pop-Tarts in the freezer or the toaster. Right. So I grew up putting them in the toaster. Yes. So right here, why don't you taste a warm blueberry? That is the closest oh, I can find oh, to the grape. Oh, I actually have a toasted blueberry Pop-Tart, and Marty had no idea. So we're doing a taste test together, right? You're going to take a bite too, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, here we go. And mm. I hope this isn't too loud, so I'm actually opening the package of mm. frozen raspberry. Oh my goodness, blueberry is so good. So this is a is frosted good. blueberry. And it's a good to me it's a mm. it's a close to grape. And, so. and we're all like doing weight watchers and stuff right now. This is not on the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had a frozen pop tart? I've never had a frozen pop tart. All right. So there's the oh. frozen. So I'm gonna take a bite of the toasted blueberry, okay. which and I know I, I like. want your reaction. Here we go. Oh, it's so warm 
and gooey in the middle, and it is delicious. Oh, my gosh. Why have we been on Weight Watchers? What have I missed? <laughs> we're just going to have to stop recording and eat some Pop-Tarts. <laughs> we'll be eating Pop-Tarts as we record. All right, here we go. All right, this taste been, the frozen. This has been a, mm. is a frozen. Break, break it in, in half, half, and, and we'll, we'll taste. taste at the same time. Yep, 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 yep. All right, here we go. You ready? Mm, wait a minute. Okay. Still getting the, uh, mm-hmm. is there milk involved? Oh, there's mm. no milk over there. No milk. That's I'm fine. sorry. Okay, here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Mm. It's not bad, Vanessa. It's not bad. I'm a toaster. I'm a toaster, but okay, here's the question it's for you. It's not bad. Room temperature or frozen? Like straight out of the box or frozen? I would say straight out of the box because I don't have time to put it in the freezer and wait for it to get cold. I want to eat it. I'm saying if I handed you one or the other and it's already frozen. Listen, I'm just not eating a Pop-Tart after so long. I'm not going to wait. I may not even wait to toast it room temperature all the way. Okay. I don't know. This is this is pretty good frozen. This is good. It's very good. I'm going to bite. So while you're chewing that bite, I love games that bring back memories and incorporate things that you can bring to the table with you. Like the Yacht Rock, we, we turned on that music and, and we learned something from that. It, with the Pop-Tarts, I learned you could freeze Pop-Tarts, but I bought Pop-Tarts and we ate Pop-Tarts. Well, we didn't eat Pop-Tarts that night, did we? The no, kids we did. Yeah. While we played the Pop-Tart game. Mm-hmm. And we played this with two of our sons and then our son's girlfriend. Yeah, so we had five people playing. And we had a blast. They really got into the game. I think because it was familiar looking at the Pop-Tarts, they named all the flavors. Mm -hmm. It's a simple game to play. Yep. So, yeah, like you said, there's a whole big deck of different flavor of Pop-Tarts. In the beginning of the game, you're going to shuffle those and put seven out on the table. And on one end, you're going to have a card that has a toaster on it. The other end, you're going to have a card that has a freezer. And right in the middle, the middle card, you're going to have an arrow that you're just going to put down and see if they'll be pointing to the freezer or pointing to the, the toaster. Then you got a deck of action cards. Everybody's going to be dealt three cards. On your turn, you can play as many action cards as you want from zero to three. These action cards do things like shift two Pop-Tarts in a line, shift two that are, are two apart, shift the two on the end. Mm-hmm. And after you're done, you're going to take the Pop-Tart that's closest to the thing that's being pointed to by the arrow. So if it's pointing to the freezer, you take the Pop-Tart beside the freezer Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Then you move the other three Pop-Tarts towards the freezer Mm -hmm. and then draw a new one and put it in the middle. Mm -hmm. The goal of the game is to score points by eating these Pop-Tarts and trying to match other cards that are in the table that says, hey, if you happen to get, and it's going to have this, if you have this number of flavors in the freezer and this one in the, in the, toaster if you got these three combinations on one side turn those in take this card and it gives you some some bonus points but when you take the card you have a little card in front of you that has half a toaster half a freezer and the card you pulled from goes underneath underneath one of those sides so you can track which one that you pulled it from right and you and you cannot swap them around so say like if you had your certain flavors in your freezer we we got this question that night and you needed one of those over in your toaster everyone was wondering is there any component where you can switch them you cannot once it goes in the freezer it stays in the freezer once it goes in the toaster it stays in the toaster and so on your turn you're obviously trying to get the most points as you can the the different pop tarts have different point cost 
And you don't have to match a card that's on the table. That goal, you could just, once you get a certain number of Pop-Tarts, I think it's five Pop-Tarts on the table, you have to eat some anyway because you can't have any more than five on the table. Mm -hmm. And you just put those off to the side. Those are going to count as points toward the end. But if you can match some of the cards out there, and that's the whole goal of these action cards. You're trying to manipulate the card row so that you can get the right combination of Pop-Tarts to get those five bonus points from the different cards that come out. Yep. And it was so much fun watching everybody try to manipulate those cards with swap two cards beside each other, swap two that are two spaces apart, you said this, and then swap the ends. And that's really the only actions that, oh, you can change the direction of the arrow. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you said that. One of the action cards is is change it. Yeah, that's pretty important, too, because there were times it's like, would you somebody please flip the arrow (laughs) so I can get something from the freezer side? It was an easy game to set up an easy game to teach. Everyone loved it. It is a great game to pull out. And at the end, it really, it was close, wasn't it? I think Rachel ended up winning by what? One point. As soon as somebody hits 30 points, you go one more round. So Mm -hmm. everybody else can have a chance to score some more points. And I was Mm -hmm. the one that actually triggered the end game. Mm -hmm. But then uh, Rachel actually ended up with 31 points and won the game. And I don't know if we, if we said it real clear. (laughs) Yeah, I, you 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 talk a lot. And you talk really fast. <laughs> but I'm just like you're gonna get your. You're like an auctioneer. <laughs> well, I've been doing this long enough with Tony where we only have five minutes to talk about a game. <laughs> so we got five minutes to talk about a game. We're gonna talk about the popular debate. <laughs> you just need to slow down a little bit. <laughs> People want to know how to play a game. Well, if you're going to be talking, can you hand me that blueberry warm Pop-Tart over there? <laughs> yeah, I want the warm one before it gets cold. Oh, <laughs> it might already be cold. So there are cards out there that have combinations of Pop-Tarts that you need certain flavors in the freezer, certain flavors in the toaster. And once you get the, uh, the Pop-Tarts to fulfill that, then you can take that card and you get the points that are on that card. You can also quote eat a Pop-Tart, and it just counts as one point. And you well, just it, counts, keep those... it, it counts as the number of oh, points the number that's points on the Pop-Tart. On the Pop-Tart. Yeah, I did, that's right. I, I that's did right. in my that's auctioneer, right. yeah. kind of mentioned that earlier, but yeah, so that's how you yeah. score the points in the game. I did mention this about the uh, components. Did you notice the insert is foil? That is so it, cool. The insert that holds the cards, it, it, it looks like a foil, which is like the package of the Pop-Tarts. Yep, this game plays two to six players. It probably takes 20 minutes, 20 yeah. to 30 minutes is the most. A fun 20 This minutes. was a fun game. Very so, fun. When I heard a Pop-Tart game, I said, this is going to be dumb. It was not. <laughs> Well, uh, when I first saw it, I when I like, heard it, I said, "This is going to be delicious." <laughs> this is the Pop Tart game is delicious fun. Boom. Bam! That's a quote, baby. That is quotable. <laughs> Funko and Prosper Hall, you can use that. Yeah, <laughs> Vanessa said, "Do not give this game away." Tony was wanting to try it, and it's like, "No, no, you you keep this game." No, seriously, this is this is a fun game. Oh, uh, I am. We're keeping this fun. on the shelf, and it's got to be. It can't. It's not that expensive. I haven't looked up the price, and I love the uh, tagline on it: "Fast-paced, flavor-filled fun." <laughs> <laughs> That's not the only Funko games that we played. And, I, and by the way, even though we're transitioning to another game, I'm, I'm still eating the Pop Tart. The last game, Vanessa, that you and I played is something called, also from Funko Prospera Hall, "Last Defense." Marty, I have to say something. You put these games out in the correct order. The first one, Yacht Rock, it's a slow pace. It's what, a, what it's a chill game. It, like it's Yacht a very Rock. chill game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pop Tarts, 
I had to use a little more energy. My brain had to work a little more, a little more, had to, had to move around a little more energy. We busted open last defense. And I tell you what, that was a roller coaster. And by the time it was over, my heart was pounding. It is high energy, fast paced. We had a ball playing this game. And I think all you need to do is know, know the tagline on the box that says, you have 20 minutes to save the city. And that's pretty much the whole game right there. What do you think? You have 20 minutes to save the city. You think you're going to have a little timer and you turn it over and watch it go down to 20 minutes? Oh, no. I'm sorry, my mouth is full. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> All right. So while he's eating, I'm going to tell you what you have, people. <laughs> you have an interactive app. And once that thing gets going, man, you are on a race against the clock. But let me back up a little bit. Oh, she's backing up. Yeah. First of all, you pull the board out. And you look at these components and these pieces, and I just love them. You have five monsters, five or six monsters. Mm -hmm. Five monsters. And the art is like old 50s movies, and mm. I love it. Yeah, and it's, the board is very colorful. It's Even though it's um, monsters are attacking the city, the board art and everything is just super colorful. You're playing one of six different characters in a city. At the beginning of the game, you're going to pick one of these. And they have like nice little miniatures, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, that yeah. are color-based nice, to go mm -hmm. along with the character card. And uh, you're going to pick one of those. And on the board consists of a city with a bunch of different locations, like the mega store, construction site, bank, etc. And you're going to get this app. It's on iOS and it's on Google. And you're going to start it up and it's going to say, okay, you're going to need to put out a rubble and scientist pair of tokens on these sites I'm going to tell you to. So what you do is you take these rubble tokens and put them face down and shuffle them up. Same thing with the scientist tokens. And then you put a rumble token on top of a scientist and you pair them all up. And you're going to use those during the course of the game. And the Okay, so the game is you have the monsters. Monsters are going to come out to certain places in the city. In those places, there's been a natural disaster. And the scientists are trapped. So we're removing wow. the rubble to retrieve the scientist. And certain scientist combinations will get rid of the monster. Do you just want to come on now and do the rules? Because you do it much better than I do. I don't know how anybody has ever bought a game from y'all's reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so the board is pre-populated with five of those combinations. Yes. To start the game. And yep. then you hit start. Mm -hmm. And it has this music that's playing in the background. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And your turn is very simple. You got two dice you're going to roll. One tells you how many locations you can move. One tells you how many cards from a tools deck that you draw. Mm -hmm. And it's different tools. It's flares and construction helmets and fire extinguishers, etc. But you're going to have a hand of five cards. Mm -hmm. And what you're going to do is you're going to move around the city. When you get to one of those locations that has the scientist and the rubble token, when mm -hmm. you get there, you immediately flip over the rubble token. And on the other side, it says, this is the tools that you need to clear the rubble. Right. If you have those, you discard those, clear the rubble, Take the scientist token, flip it over, and put it on your character card. Right. So that's how you rescue a scientist. So that sounds pretty straightforward and pretty simple. You and I, if we're in the same spot, we can trade one card to each other. So if you happen to have a certain combination of a scientist of where you're going and you need one of my tools, I can trade into Kind of like Pandemic in that as aspect because yeah. you can do a little bit of trading. All right, that's cool. Music's yeah, playing yeah, in the background. Cool. Oh, I do want to say something about the little people. We've played enough games to where as soon as we set it up, I I think I asked, okay, what's my player's ability? 
the mm. the players don't have different abilities. It's just a straight player marker or mm-hmm. token or miniature, excuse me. It's just a straight player miniature. It is a great game to pull out for people just getting into that. So you don't have to keep up with a lot of stats and different things like that. Your your person is your person. You roll your dice, you get your tools, and you move your spaces. Yep. Very straightforward. Yeah, and in fact, every character card tells you exactly what you're going to do. It's literally those steps that you just said. And you would think this game would have different player abilities. And I thought, oh, I wish we did. But after it was over, it's like, I'm glad we didn't. Because you're racing against the clock and it would be too hard to track. Like, what's your ability? Let's take advantage of your ability. And you're just wasting time at that point. So now that brings us to that point, which is what makes this game. Here we go. Your app, you have a big clock and you see it ticking down. And the first time, I wish wish we had a video of us the first time because we didn't. That first time you play it is unbelievable so it's going down there's a news reporter Mm -hmm. and she tells you what happens and so she they tell you where the monster went but it's a the music is intense and they count down and they say the sentient plant it has been spotted at the plaza and it moves to the plaza it is constantly moving so you're on your way to get it and then it moves somewhere else Mm -hmm. those monsters are constantly moving all over the board. You were trying to run all over the board. That clock is ticking down. We were panicking. (laughs) And every time a monster pops out on the board or moves, you take one of those combinations of the rubble and scientists to put them on the board. They're eventually all going to be deployed because Mm -hmm. you're going to need all those scientists to help clear the monsters. Because when a monster comes out, you flip it over and you see exactly what scientists it needs. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you get the scientists, what you do is you head back to the plaza and you drop off the scientist in there. A monster will never appear in the plaza. As soon as the right combination of scientists are in the plaza, you can immediately defeat that monster. You pause the app, say, I've removed this particular threat, and it continues. So the app knows that that monster's been taken care of and off the board. But like you said, every two or three minutes, you get this news break. <laughs> And you're just like, UFO spotted over in the bank. It's like, oh, jeez. And if you happen to be in the location where the monster hits, you immediately have to go to the back to the rest area. And if you had a scientist, you drop them off where that monster was. And I don't think we told everyone, you cannot enter a location with a monster unless you have a flare, mm-hmm. one of the tools. Or leave. Arlie, that's right. You can't enter or leave with the monster unless you have that. That is one, I don't know, it's not really an ability, but Marty has a card here, the skateboarder. She goes to the to the mall. That's the skateboarder's location. You can enter your own location with the monster without the flare. Yes. Yep. So that is one, that, you're right, that is kind of a special ability that you have if you need it. So if a monster pops up in there and there's a bunch of scientists in there, it's like, well, you go take care of that because we don't need right. a flare. And as soon as you enter a location with a scientist that's already been revealed, you just put them right back on your character card. And again, try to get to the plaza. So over 20 minutes... You're trying to find all the tools that you need Mm -hmm. to uncover the scientists, Mm -hmm. get the right scientists back to the plaza so that you can use those to get rid of the monsters in just 20 minutes. And multiple times that we've played, we maybe have two or three minutes. And we're playing on the beginner version. (laughs) The first time we played, it was was maybe even like a minute. Yep. But did did we say it's not just one scientist? You have to collect two, so it takes a while to get all the right the yes. right scientists. Yeah, you're right. And uh, one of the tokens that you could also discover is a helicopter, 
which mm-hmm. is just a free movement. You can just move anywhere on the board. So that's another thing that you, when you clear rubble, it might be a helicopter token for easily moving around the board too. Right, right. So you and I played it, just the two of us, a lot of fun. And then we played it all five of us. Oh, that was crazy. And it was crazy. Like I found myself, like there's a lot of discussion to try to switch. And I'm like, stop talking and roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it, it's just... It was incredible. A lot, lot of fun. And Last we, defense. And when you roll the dice, you do have the option to re-roll. And if you do, you must take the second roll. Because mm-hmm. uh, lots of times if like, oh, that roll only gave me one to move and I need more than that. Or only got one tool so you can re-roll and try to, to increase your odds of moving or, or getting more tools. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things that was too, I read the rules and I thought, you know what? It's just too. It's just too simple. You're rolling. You're you're moving. You're collecting tools. It's like a stripped down version of Pandemic. Then you play it, and you're under that clock, and it's like that's the fun. That's the tension yeah. of your heart beating when you know mm-hmm. it's like there goes the music. Another monster is <laughs> moving or popping up somewhere. Please don't be where I am, sort of deal. <laughs> and I see it's for ages eight and up. There might be some a little younger that might be able to play, but this is a great game to play with the family because it builds cooperation. You have to look at your tools to trade the tools. It It is a great, great family game. Yep, it is. In fact, all these three Funko games are great oh, family yeah. games. Prospero Hall Funko games are starting to show up in Target. You know, we've been to Target and there's a few games from them starting to show up there. I don't know if these are going to go there, but boy, these sure could work there. Yes, they really could. Throw the Pop-Tart uh, Especially game Pop-Tart, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could do a whole promotion, right? Here, buy the Pop-Tarts game and get 10% off a box of Pop-Tarts. Because <laughs> that's the best Target usually does. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you. Fantastic. So what this game made me want to do, but we haven't, we might have to save it for October, but I want to watch all the old 50s movies, like The Fly. Oh, yeah. Or uh, some old uh, 50s movies. What was the one? Creature uh, from Outer Space. Was that the one that uh, Tom Cruise remade? The 50s with the robot and the guy came down. uh, Last day on Earth, last day of Earth. People, oh, I don't know. People are now screaming what the name of it is. Anyway, Tom Cruise remade this 50s movie. And oh, I've really? seen the original. Yeah. So I was going to say Last Man on Earth. That's not it. It's Last Day on Earth or Last. Hold on. Adam's yelling from another room. What is it? <laughs> the day the earth stood still. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we have a wonderful family. This is a great family effort. <laughs> the day the earth stood still. Tom Cruise redid that movie. It wasn't very good. But stuff like that. <laughs> well, that's the that's the fun of those 50s, to watch those 50s movies, is to watch a bad movie. No, no, no. The Tom Cruise one was bad. Oh, the, the 50s re- version was good. <laughs> well, then let's watch that one. Let's watch that War of the Worlds. Remember the old, they, oh, re- yeah. they mm-hmm. made uh, that one again. Tom Cruise remade yep, that one, yep. too. We saw that one. Which was not good either. The art on all three of these games is just unbelievable. It's it's fantastic. They're fun to look at. Production-wise, Funko Prospera Hall just knocks it out of the park every single time. And these are affordable games. Again, you've got different intensities, like you said. Mm-hmm. You've got the easygoing Yacht Rock, mm-hmm. the somewhat chaotic Pop-Tarts race, game racing so you can get the most points. Yeah, it didn't feel. It was great. What's the age on it? I don't have my glasses. <laughs> 13 and up. Oh, it could be younger younger than that. It could be younger. Yeah, it could be younger. younger. It is great for recognizing numbers, adding. It's fabulous. It could be younger. 
And then last offense is just, oh my goodness. It's just, it's just crazy chaotic fun. I can't get over the fact how simple it is to play, but how fun it is. In the app, the it's a reporter. And it was just great the whole the way the whole thing was done. You I felt like it was real. I felt like she was a real news reporter and it was really happening. <laughs> and that we we really were the last defense. Yeah. And again, it's very cool. We saved y'all though. We saved your world. <laughs> it was well, it was it came down to the wire, but we did it. Well, we need to play on the advanced or the uh, normal version. <laughs> uh, in the in the beginner version, only four monsters pop out. And the other one, all five pop out or moving around <laughs> the board. Um, so yeah, again, colorful art. So if you got kids, it's not one of those things that's intense art-wise oh, no, or anything. No. The experience is intense, but the art and flavor text. And, and it's and fun colors. intense. Yes. It's not, yeah. Yes, it's fun. Great intense. family game. So there you go. Three great Funko games, all different types. And I've sitting here and finished off a Pop Tart as we're sitting here talking. <laughs> now I feel like I need to go get a little bit of milk to wash this thing down. You do. Is there a milk game? <laughs> if they haven't done it they'll probably get with the dairy farmers and do a got milk at some point in time you can have whole milk chocolate milk skim milk two percent uh, almond milk almond milk which is delicious is it? sweetened almond milk yeah well, it is how, how do you get milk out of an almond i don't know but i drink it <laughs> <laughs> Head over to miniaturemarket.com to get your gaming needs. That front page has always got some goodness. Matter of fact, here on August the 10th, I'm looking at this front page, Marty, and they've got the Marvel Champions LCG Hulk Hero Pack out there ready for you. That's a new arrival, and I didn't know they were still making these. We're going to be talking about card games here in a second. The Lord of the Rings, the Land of Sorrow Adventure Pack just arrived, Marty. I didn't know they were still making those. If I had paid attention to the pre-orders over at miniaturemarket.com, I would have already had those in my hands. Speaking of which, the pre-order system over there is top-notch because if you a pre-ordered Marvel Villainous Infinite Power, you'd have it because right now it is sold out and hopefully they'll get some more of those on sale over at miniaturemarket.com. In typical Tony fashion, Marty asked me to come up with a segment for us to talk about because, well, we just can't get together in and with that, I waited to the last minute. Boy, did you. You dropped it on me like five hours ago, and you dropped a heavy one that I have been excruciatingly trying to work through my mind for the past five hours. So thank you for that. This is one of those you should let me sleep on for a couple nights at least. Well, I'm not going to because if you'll forget it. You'll say, oh, I'm supposed to think about it? So you would have been doing it anyway. You would have been, oh, we needed to talk about this. So... Typical RDTN fashion, we are going to talk about the top five, as many as we can do, <laughs> card games, our top five card games, and there are caveats associated with that. You can only be just cards and tokens only, no boards, none of that other stuff in it. I see what you're doing. So you're moving the chance that something like Wingspan can be involved because that one like best card game for BGG. Yeah, no, we're not going to have that junk. We're not going to okay, have that. Okay. We're not... I mean, you know, we're not going to have, um, I guess we could do Ascension or those, but there's a board, but it, no, it's got to be cards and tokens. So I couldn't say something like, oh, hell, the card game. I couldn't yeah. do that one. And the other part is it must have deck building into it in that a deck comes with you, not 
You're building it as you're as you're going Pre-built. along. Pre-built. 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 There's the word we're looking for. Because is that not confusing now when somebody says, oh, we're going to play like Netrunner, it's a deck builder. And then immediately as a gamer, you go, but which one? And we still don't know a good way to say it. Just, I guess, pre-built decks? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Pre-constructed. 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 Thank you. That's good. I need to write that down because I'll forget it. So right. these are cards and tokens only pre-constructed. Mm-hmm. That's Got it. it. Five only. So I know there's a long list, but actually when I did my research on this, Marty, and I was doing it over at the uh, BGG site to make sure I didn't forget any or some that I may have played a long time ago and see how they would rank out, I could not get it to sort the way I wanted it to. I could, it wouldn't pull. When I pulled up, well, let's filter on card games, deck builders. I only had like 20. I'm like, that's not right. No. So, something was not keying in there so very well. Are you ready to get started? Yes. So I assume we're starting uh, from five to one. Yes. We're going to rank it that way, unlike the previous ranking where we were all over the place with David. Hey, we're going to go three, two, one. No, we'd go one, two, three. No, whatever. Here's the problem. You and I have not compared lists. I assume that some of these are going to match. So when they do, if it is higher then on your list and what it is for the other person, say wait and we'll get to it when that other person gets to it on their list. Okay. Okay. That works for me. I'm good with that. So are you ready? I'm ready. Number five. Oh, I forgot about the sound effects. Okay. I've been building yeah. up for this all day. Okay. You've had five hours to plan. I've had to try. To- <laughs> you, you spent more time probably on the sound effects than you did on your probable, your actual list. Uh, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> All right, what you got for number five? You only gave me five hours, and I'm sorry. I could not decide between five and six. One hour, it was this way, and the next hour, it was flipped. So guess what? Five has two of them in there. No, because uh-uh. I, that's not how we rank so, No, we're, we're not no, doing a 5A be- and a 5B. Pick. You, d- you can do an honorable mention, but I'm not giving you a 5A and a 5B. That's not how we roll at our DTN. No, this ain't fair. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Fine. Fine. But if you ask me tomorrow, these may be flipped. So here's my only honorable mention I'm going to say. Okay. Potentially, unless you come up with some really good ones. My honorable mention is the World of Warcraft TCG. All right. We'll talk about that later. Fair. So then my number five is the Lord of the Rings LCG. Talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. (laughs) All right. So I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So your honorable mention was? Wild TCG. All right. And then Lord of the Rings LCG was number five. Yes. All right. So my number five was Spycraft. Thank you. Thank you. I'm. That was another one that was there, but now we get to talk about it. So okay. go ahead. So Spycraft was uh, one of those card games that you and I played Oh shortly after we played um, Lord of the Rings TCG. About mid-2000s, like 2004, 2005 range, yep. Right, and it was based on a very popular, if I remember correctly, RPG. It was, yep. The whole concept of the spies, and there was just that uniqueness to that game that I really, really enjoyed. Very short-lived. Obviously, other people didn't enjoy it as much as I did, but it was how you built up your spies and you were equipping them with weapons or just the whole mechanics, how each different faction was playing very asymmetric and their powers and their capabilities. 
there was just something about that gang, Marty, that I really enjoyed. And how you always brought the same type of spies there that you built. You had that row that came out. In the middle of the table. It's like it's like uh, things that you had, uh, obstacles that you had to face. And some you had to face with combat. Mm-hmm. Some you had to face with like intrigue. And so then you had these different stats that your spies needed to have in order to overcome those missions. Right. And the level of the spy kept getting bigger and better. And you were like, okay, I'm going to send this spy out there. And then I always enjoyed playing the one that would mess with the other people's deck. That one probably had one of my, that's always been one of my favorite type of decks to construct is mess with the other people. But that one, there was something about that just really gelled with me. I could understand how those cards worked and how the, traits all work and again that mission deck in the middle of the table i thought was so man i remember us sitting at the at the table right in there that i can see right there us sitting around the table playing that game it was from aeg mm-hmm. and i've actually gone back to them i said would y'all ever think of re-releasing it but you got to have the ip uh they didn't own spycraft the ip i don't even know what happened to it man i don't know if it's still an rpg or something like that but it's one of those themes that you don't see, right? That's mm-hmm. what made it unique too. Was just that that theme of of spies. You just don't see that a lot. That yeah, great game. I'm glad you mentioned it. Okay, let's head over to four, and that's where I got your honorable mention, World of Warcraft. All right, so then I'll start talking about this one. So World of Warcraft came out, uh, I guess, in between 2005 2010. That's where we were uh, playing it. And this was one of those games that you and I didn't play a lot of Magic, mm-hmm. but this was like a second generation of that type of game where you come out and try to beat each other's minions down and try to knock out the life of the other person, which is very much like Magic. But it removed the whole mana screw. Right. Because on your turn, any card in your hand could be a resource. And you put it face down, and then that's a resource that you can use. Now, if anybody plays Hearthstone, it's the same sort of thing. You get one resource per turn. In this game, and Hearthstone came from this game, is you could play a resource or you could choose to. It was your option to play a resource or not. But some of those resource cards were actually quests that if you got those into your resource pile, you could actually use those to try to complete the quest and get a bonus for them. But you had a hero. You had a big card. Mm -hmm. Then you could equip them with... um, armor and weapons and stuff like that then you had your minions out front that you went and attacked with so the whole resource mechanic uh, i loved and i'm going to shut up because there's another mechanic you're probably going to mention here in a second that we love too but go ahead what got it to number four for me is the fact that we had the ability as justin pointed out the raid decks the the raiding going around the table was that it that's why i kept my mouth shut it's raid decks. that's what put this number four for me I mean, you went from a game where you're constantly beating each other down, and you mentioned all the things I enjoyed about, to the thing that just vaulted it above Spycraft was we could all gather around and do many versus one, and nobody ever felt left out during those raid decks. We just had a blast with that. And if you played the World of Warcraft game, you're playing the dungeons that you actually played in the MMO and so you go in there and you see how, man, how this works, how the more damage the boss took in a dungeon, then when it got down like to 50% level, it, it would trigger. And like all these little other minions may come out at that point, just like in the real video game. But yes, all of us, again, I remember us sitting around the table and there was like a GM at the front running the game. He's the dungeon and we're playing against him. So what's your number four? All right. So my number four is a game that I got excited about around 2015. That's when I was at Origins, and a designer, one of our good buddies, Isaac Vega, said, I want to show you this new card game. 
that I uh, got coming out called Ashes. All right, so um, Ashes is a, a really unique game from Plat Hat Games that use dice as resources. You got 10 dice that you roll. Depending on what face it is, you get to do different things with it, but that's all the resources that you got. It had this very cool back and forth mechanic of, I've got an action, side action, then you go. Back and forth, back and forth. The art was amazing. People may not realize this, but our logo uh, is designed and drawn by Fernanda Suarez, who also did most of the art on the Ashes cards. And after seeing her cards, it's like, this is the person I would love to have work on our logo. And she did a fantastic job. And what's exciting is just this past weekend, Tony, is that Team Covenant, a big content creator and a store out in Oklahoma who was a big fan of Ashes, has got together with Plat Hat Games, who's now on their own. They, they went back on their own to work together to bring back Ashes in version 1.5. What they're going to do is, they're, at the tail end of Ashes, there were a lot of problems. There was a lot of cards that seemed to be broken. There was a lot of issues with some timing. Some cards had paragraphs of text that were hard to understand. They got the, the uh, lead play tester to come in to run as the designer. He's taken 30% of the existing card pool. He's going to retool it. Team Covenant says, here you go. We're going to give this to you if we can get 1,000 people to sign up and spend 30 bucks to buy this retooled set. Over the weekend, it made. 1,000 people backed that within three days. It's now going to happen. All those people that backed are going to get a 30% of the card pool is going to be redone. Basically, it's going to be rising like a phoenix from the ashes because it's called Ashes Reborn. And we're going to be able to play this again. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Early on, I love the game. But then there's some things that happen later on that's like, wow, this just doesn't work very well. So I can't wait to see what they do with the version 1.5. Number three. Number three. I bet you're going to run out of different ones to do. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I am. You just might as well just edit in the person who counts down for our um, five-minute initiative. My number three is Netrunner. All right. Talk about that later. All right. All right. So what's your number three? My number three is Lord of the Rings LCG. All right. We'll yeah. talk about that now. Which was your <laughs> number five. Number so, five. Which is my number three. What sold me on that is, you know, the Lord of the Rings is always one of my favorite books, favorite movies, all that good stuff. And got very excited that they were going to have all these scenarios, these various mechanics that were built into it, battling the sharing, the co-op, looking forward to the co-op nature. We weren't going against each other. So I was all excited about that. I could relive the stories in the book using the Lord of the Rings LCG um, system. I liked how when we would play against the decks and against the various um, scenarios we were going against, we had to work together and do a sort of a synergy in our deck building. That to me really vaulted that game up. Well, so, well Marty, how are you? Are you going to do the spirit or, or are you going to do the killing? What are you going to do? Okay, then I'm going to do this on my side to help us out. Mm -hmm. That to me is what I loved about that game. So for your number five, why did you like? It? Yeah, so now I think that was... I can't remember, Warhammer Invasion came first, and I think we kind of dipped our toe into that. Was that the first LCG that we tried, or was it this one? It was this one. It was this one? Then we went back and tried Invasion? Yes. Okay, so this was a format that was brand new at the time to us, because Call of Cthulhu and Warhammer Invasion, and I think it was the Game of Thrones, were all these LCG, these living card games. But we never experienced, like you said, a co-op game. Whoa, that's that's different. Like we can play together and stuff like that. 
along with the theme of something that you and I were both passionate about, the art looked amazing. It had these amazing phases where you were questing and then fighting and stuff like that. And you actually tried to play out a story. There was a little bit of a narrative to it. So to me, that's the game that really got me into LCGs. And I saw this is a format for me. Bye-bye CCGs. I am not an LCG gamer. Yes, that's what did it for us. For everything else that you've been forcing me to buy. It's okay. I'm fine with it. It it makes it easier. It It makes it easier. Oh, it makes it way easier. I don't have to try. I don't have to chase the rare. I don't have to get the foil, all that good stuff. I don't have to worry about that. The the only thing that that you lose out on these LCGs, and we'll go ahead and explore this, is a draft. You know, doing a draft competition. Which is fun. Which is fun. That's a lot of fun. No, it's not two. It was do. All right. No, and do no. Uno dos. I'm sorry. Let me try that one again. <laughs> not do. I'm not French. I'm All right. Not. Okay. So I, you know, I was torn. Lord of the Rings right. is my number five LCG. I thought it's an amazing co-op game, but I did have some issues with it later on down in the game where. When you came across a quest that was hard to complete, a scenario, you would constantly have to retweak and build your deck, change it up, try to get it to work. Some of the phases were kind of, sometimes kind of hard to make sure you get through, and there's a lot of tracking and stuff like that. So when Arkham Horror LCG came out, and I remember seeing this uh, also at Gen Con, and when I saw that there are cards that are put on the table that act as a map, and you actually have a car character card that you move between locations and play out a story, I thought, I'm in. This is exactly what I was looking for. I have never, ever played a card game, a strategy card game that's also a co-op that has the narrative that this game has. And I've been playing this game ever since it came out. I've been buying pretty much, I've bought every set except for one. I'm playing with some guys at work. In fact, we're supposed to be playing this week as we're playing through a campaign. There's the whole concept of you start with an investigator, you build a deck, you finish a scenario, you get XP, you tweak your deck, you make your deck more value, uh, powerful. You play through multiple scenarios that builds a story. There are some paths where it branches off and you got to make some decisions. It's very. I, I like the concept of on your turn, you got a, a couple actions you can take, which is very typical of a card game, which Lord of the Rings was a lot more structured. I like the less structure than I did here. The art is amazing. I love the theme. Arkham Horror, the card game, is one of my top games of all time right now. I love it that much. I cannot ever remember any other game that gives me the narrative and strategic experience that this game does. And it's just almost perfection to me. And the only reason why it did not make the list for me is I think I don't have a steady group to play. That's a huge reason. If I didn't have these guys to, to play with, it's a totally different ball game. I've heard it works great solo, but I do not get into, into playing games solo. I just I just don't. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I wanted to go solo, I'd pull out Lord of the Rings, a type of game that or a theme that I like. And you like Cthulhu more than I do. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really care for it. Yep, doesn't really matter. From the standpoint of you know the monsters and all that, not that I don't care for it. I just the, I'm not into the mythos. Totally fair. Yep. So, of course, my number two was your number three. 
Yep. Android Netrunner. Mm-hmm. So the whole reason this podcast exists, right here, Android Netrunner, plain and simple. Okay, there's other reasons, but we're going to equate it to Android Netrunner. Netrunner. Never have I been invested in such a game as I was that. The amount of time that I sent researching, trying to build decks, trying to figure out how I was going to be able to beat a corporation or protect a corporation. Never did I go out and play in tournaments like I did with this game. Core set, I'll admit, in Netrunner, Android Netrunner, had some issues in because of uh, scorched earth policies. And you can go back and look at, you know, where you can just wipe someone out with a scorched earth policy, making them discard cards down. But aside from that, as that game kept releasing and releasing more, it began, I never felt like it became unbalanced. I always loved the intensity, the not knowing, and the strategy that you had to uh, deal with in building two separate decks because you had to come in with a corporation and a runner deck. And you and I would always play one or the other at lunch, and we would just go back and forth on that as we prepare for a tournament or something like that. Uh, I mean, Android Netrunner to me was probably one of those games that I've spent more, I spent more time preparing for, researching, reading, understanding, getting on the net, hearing what people were doing, excited about packs to come out, new expansions to come out, actually subscribing. That to me was probably, what, that is why this game is number two. Everything that you said, plus one, I agree with everything you said 100%. The thing that also stuck out me was the asymmetric play. This game is what got me into asymmetric games. We had mentioned uh, King and Assassins earlier. I love the idea of sitting across the table and playing with somebody where their goal and their mechanics are totally different than mine. It like gives, it's like two games in one to me, and that's one what this was. When you're playing as the corporation, your mindset is totally different. And an Android Netrunner, the actions you take on your turn are totally different. There, there's no, there's no comparison between the two sides. The runner plays totally different than the corporation. The win conditions for both sides are, are, are totally different. Like you said, there's two different decks. Uh, like you, Tony, I was heavily invested in that you and I actually, we never ever before like got decks together and practiced and, and tweaked to go play in tournaments. The only thing that got to that one is after the card pool got so large I could not keep up anymore. Yes. The meta left me to where I, you, like you said, I researched in that first year or two, I understood all the terms and techniques. I had all the cards memorized, but it got to the point I I just couldn't keep up. And I think over the long haul, that's what kind of hurt uh, Netrunner along the way is I think they ran into a lot of issues like that. But regardless of all that, I will say we, we love the art. It did have a learning curve. It had a steep learning curve because remember, everything had a different name. It wasn't like a draw deck or your hand. And then both sides had their own names for the exact same thing. The discard pile for both sides was named totally different. (laughs) So you had to learn all this terminology. And so once you got it, you got it, which was nice. But yes, Netrunner will always have one place in our heart. And yeah, you're right. It probably did help kick off the podcast. You talk about the terms. I'll never forget the first time we played that sitting at my table and you and I, we had the book. Are we playing this right? Did that work right? Did we do this right? <laughs> How okay, do you let's do it right again. again? When do you stop? Do you, when does the, when does the card flip over? Does it, does it flip hmm. over now? What? Yeah. What's this timing inside of a timing inside of a timing? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you jacking in? Are you jacking out? I don't know. What's my lot? What? <laughs> 
Number one, <laughs> we all know what it is. Why build up for it? What is your number one? Like, I don't know what it is. We are both going to say it because Lord of the Rings CCG collectible card game from Decipher in 2001. If it wasn't for this game, more than likely, Tony and I would not be the gamers that we are today and this podcast wouldn't exist. We said Netrunner helped kick off the podcast, but to be honest with you, we wouldn't even be playing games if it wasn't for this one. That's so true. That is absolutely true. That was the game that made us drop a whole lot of money, ship cards to England for trades. Ooh, boy. <laughs> we were on some trading, uh, what was it, the CAG collectible something gamers? Mahat, 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 Mahat Mama? <laughs> Mahat Mama. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Woo. What was okay. the name of that site? Anyway, I can't. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, where there's this trading site where you put up your wants and your and your needs and and your oh, yeah, dude, we were we're sending cards all over the world. We were ordering. Remember Potomac Distribution? Mm-hmm. We used Potomac, to go Potomac, not Potomac. Potomac. Yeah, Potomac. We would go there and uh, order boxes, and then you and I would get together and draft. Oh, that draft was so packs. fun. We would open up the boxes and basically draft packs open packs and then trade because you had your commons, you had your rares, you had your uh, uncommons. And we tried to get as much as evenly as possible along the way. Yeah. Going up to a driving 40 minutes to a tournament and just having a big time with that. And oh, there was a lot of fun with the Lord of the Rings, seeing the pictures of the movies and realizing, hey, that picture wasn't in the movie and actually going back and trying to find it in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and then how can I make Sam not the ring bearer? And what do I need to do? Oh, we can play with, um, oh, why did the name release me? You shall not pass Gandalf against the, oh, and when we had that card, oh, the, the, God, what's the big evil looking thing that looks like Diablo? Oh, uh, oh my gosh. Oh, what was that? Everybody screaming at us right now that's listening to this podcast. You fools. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I just thought about this today. (laughs) In the five hours that you were doing this, you were like, what? it's not the watcher in the water. He's in the mines of Moria. It's, oh my God, just look at up. This is sad. Oh flame, my God. And, and he has something called the flame something. Yeah, he's got the flame and you shall not pass. The Balrog. Oh my gosh, the Balrog. Everybody just, just turned off the radio. It's like, you call yourselves Lord of the Rings fans? On me? I know what it is. I'm sitting here. I couldn't come up because I was just finished beating Diablo in Diablo yep. on the Switch. Yep. So that's in my mind constantly. <laughs> Did you know there's another act after that? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's okay. an expansion. But anyway. So, yes, the uh, the Belrog. And remember early on, you always faced the Belrog at like site number five or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, so a lot of mechanics in this game that you and I liked. Uh, number one, uh, the idea of this, you're an adventurer. So you got the fellowship. You have to go through nine sites to get to the end once again even though you're not building two decks you kind of are they're just merged you're building a fellowship deck you're building a shadow deck they're shuffled together and then once again we didn't realize it at the time asymmetric play on your turn you're doing a totally different thing than what i'm trying to do on my play because as a shadow i'm trying to beat down your guys and then it flips and then you have the shadow that you're trying to beat down my dies with the resource mechanic that nobody is yet to copy again with any huge success, and that is however much res- how many resources I put in the pool, is that how, that's how many that you're going to use on your turn. But there's always that bluffing mechanism that I remember from it. If I push on that path, does he have shadow in his hand, 
or is he full of fellowship and he has no, sh- no shadow. So it's, I'm going to have safe journey because if I can continue down that path more than you, it puts more pressure on the other player. So you're sitting over there and you're just like, cause you could move two steps on the path. The first one you have to do yep. and then you'll play. And then it's like, do you want to continue? Because you don't get to redraw. No, you don't get to redraw. Yeah. And the shadow stays there except for what is added by increasing on the path. So more shadow is added to the pool. Did he bluff me? He didn't use any of that. Did he bluff me or is he trying to overwhelm my party and kill my ring bearer? Do I have what it takes? Or could it have been a bad draw and they got Mm -hmm. nothing in their hand but fellowship cards. They don't have any shadow to play. Which also then puts the intensity back on you when it comes over, if that's the case. Because now you're like, I've got all this fellowship in my hand. If I play all this, I'm giving him, who just refreshed, a chance at playing. Mm -hmm. There was that constant intensity, which was something that I really enjoyed. It's I enjoyed in Android Netrunner. It's what I enjoyed in Lord of the Rings, is that bluffing mechanic, that that just tense moment of, oh, I just, I, I did pass. (laughs) <laughs> I shall not pass. I will pass. Thank you. And the multiplayer in this game works so well because if you're playing with like four other people, when you're playing as the fellowship, everybody else is playing as the shadow and whatever resources they had, they have to split among them and they can't talk about what cards they got in their hand. But remember we'd sit around the table. It's like, just leave me two, just leave me three. When it gets to my turn, <laughs> you know, that's about all you could say. And then you work together against the guy on the fellowship side. So it's scaled well between two and four players, which is unusual for a card game. So I look over our list. I go back and thinking, you know, all these games, Marty, of the list, the LCGs are the only things still left. What does that say about card games for us? We just live in the past. What do you mean? The, the, they're the only ones that's left. Well, Lord of the Rings, LCG, you did Arkham Horror. Ashes is coming back. What does that say about us? We just we just can't find that next one that we want. There oh, were a oh, lot. I see. Yeah. Um, well, number one, Lord of the Rings is just so nostalgic for me. I mean, that's yeah. that's why I had to put it there. You know, we didn't mention it, but I played Marvel Champions. I think Marvel Champions is a solid game. That's my honorable. Yeah. yeah. I get it on the table and I can play it and I enjoy it. I just don't know this one of those things that's going to be like 10 years from now, I'm going to be thinking about it. Like I do some of these other games. And Tony, uh, I actually bought this last year. Next year, you and I will be celebrating basically our 20th anniversary of getting into Lord of the Rings CCG. And right now I'm staring up on my shelf two unopened, two unopened starter decks of Lord of the Rings from the very first set and two unopened booster packs. And you and I next year are going to get together and... Uh, we're going to relearn the rules before we do this, but we're going to get together. We're going to open those decks and we're going to experience the game that got us into this hobby 20 years ago and see is it is mechanically. It's like, wow, this game was not as good as you remember. Or it's like, oh yeah, it's just as good as you remember. The, the problem is with the starters and you know this as well as I do, they weren't a full deck. You always had to add 60. So the starters were short cards. So you didn't get that full gain of experience from that. Actually, I did not remember that. So, (laughs) Uh, okay, we'll have to work around that. We'll have to um, uh, maybe supplement with, uh, buy some more booster packs. They're dirt cheap now of the original set and maybe supplement from there. But I am so excited to get together. The only problem is, is that 20 years ago, we used to could read that little rule book. 
that uh, came in there. <laughs> we really can't do that much anymore. I think I have the original somewhere squirreled away on a computer. Uh, the original rules, yeah, they're, they're out there somewhere. So we've always loved our card games, man. And we you, we talked about this earlier. Over the weekend, I did teach you a new expandable card game uh, that's coming out. In the last episode, we talked about Vampire the Masquerade Rivals. It's coming out from Renegade Games. This is like an LCG. They just can't use that term. And I got you, Nate, and Mark on Tabletopia uh, to teach the game. And you said you had some different thoughts. So, sir, what are your thoughts uh, on this game? Well, so for Vampire, and I think it's not the fact of the game, it's the fact I was playing on Tabletopia. Yep. And I almost said, Tony, don't do it. Because, okay, so here's the thing. I didn't mention this earlier. I actually played Tekkenu on Tabletopia earlier this year, a table uh, TTS. And dude, it was like, I'm just not enjoying myself because I've been sitting here for three hours trying to move bits around the board and it's so frustrating. But then you heard my excitement earlier. I played Mm -hmm. the physical game totally different experience. I was worried that you playing on Tabletopia was going to taint the experience of this game. So, but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. And, and in all honesty, it really did. I had the, the cards wouldn't shrink back down when I would click on them. And then suddenly it was the visual experience wasn't there. Uh, you explaining the rules was, I don't want to say it, what you did wasn't bad. It was the fact that it was easily to, as you're talking, I'm zooming in cards, but you're pointing at something else so I can read the stupid cards and I'm missing the iconography and I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, overall, the concept is very simple, but I definitely, and the speed of play, that really tainted it for me. I'm like, this is taking way freaking too long. Well, again, with physical cards, you know, it would be twice as fast. Oh, it'd be, it'd be so fast. There wouldn't be anything I mean, we'd be like throwing cards left and right, going, everybody would be talking. And once again, it's the fact that you got to learn new terms, yeah. new iconography. That I mean, they've made their money. They don't need my money. They don't need me to go buy a core pack because they've, they've already passed that bit. <laughs> they would like me to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm just, you know, being honest here. All right. That, you know, do they really need for their success if you're into that type of asymmetric game, which it was, I got to play something that had had completely different mechanics to use than what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, it's not asymmetric like Netrunner is, but yeah. I'm sitting there and Nate's doing something and Mark's doing something and I'm just like, I, I don't understand what's going on here from the standpoint of, is, is Nate winning? I don't know. How, what am I doing here? Bra- what? So it it was it was an experience that I think overall I can't wait for you to get a copy. I hope they will sell these in retail. I think the core is going to be in retail, and uh, that's yeah, all so, I need. So so the nice thing is is that the core does come with four full decks. So let's say you you know I'm not going to buy it. Well, guess what? You can borrow one of my decks from my core, and you have everything that you need. The thing that appealed to me is, uh, like I said, I haven't seen a game since Lord of the Rings CCG that support a multiplayer. This one does. It's a, it, it's built to play multiplayer because the original game, Vampire the Internal Struggle, did support multiplayer game. It just didn't work well with two-player. Uh, because in this game, randomly assigned rivals are put on the board. You win if you're if you can defeat your rival. 
there's really no need to attack other people. In fact, attacking other people and hurting them could actually help the guy who's that person's rival just because of the way the rules are set up. So it's not one of those things where you pile on to somebody. It doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any sense just to eliminate one guy and then you three play the way it's, it's built. I do like, there's some bluffing in it. There's this whole conspiracy card that uh, Nate kept doing. It's like, hey, I have this card. Nobody else can see it except Marty, you. Hey, you want to help contribute this and make this happen? Sure. And you guys don't know what it is. You know, it's probably going to be bad when it flips over. So there's this social element that I did. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to have to uh, hold judgment on that social. You were saying that, but to me, it was just Nate had a card and asked you if you wanted to do something about it. And if you had that ability to pay whatever you had to, you would have done it. Yeah, but see, what you didn't see was this concept called a scheme where there's these blind bids where people mm. put in their hand blind bid and bid some of their limited resources. It's called prestige to whether you want that to succeed or fail. Uh, so okay. there's this little bidding mechanic too. Yes. So anyway, yeah, it is. It is fully funded. Uh, it's interesting. I was uh, listening today. A lot of people are like, why is this on Kickstarter? Why is Ashes... Uh, having a subscription base to get reprinted. I, I listened to the Team Covenant podcast that came out today. They had a fantastic discussion on this. They said that the CCG model, Magic, is fantastic for game stores because people come in there, they want to play the game, they buy blind booster packs, they're constantly giving money to the store to play the game. But they said it's a heavy investment for gamers. The flip side of that is the LCG fantastic for consumers. I buy this one pack. I haven't got to buy anything else again, but it's bad for retail because I'm not going to buy multiple of the same pack. doesn't make any sense. If it was a CCG, I might sit there and buy five booster packs tonight just to see what, if I can get something, you know, and we did that. Yes, we did. They said, so CCGs great for the store. LCG is great for the consumer. So Team Covenant says, where can we meet in the middle? They said, that's where Kickstarter and that's where like subscription-based things come in. So the 1.5 Ashes and the Rivals, it's like here. If this funds, you get it. Then guess what happens? The next expansion. All right. Do you want this next expansion to come out? We need X amount of you people to say that you're going to buy it. We'll print it. FFG is big enough. They ain't got to do that. They just can print it and then eventually just kind of dies away. Lord of the Rings is going away. I don't know if you know that. LCG, yeah. uh, this is the last uh, run of the mythos. But because Renegade, I heard rumored that their next expansion will be Kickstarter. People are like, why? Why not go straight to retail? Because there's less risk. If nobody mm -hmm. backs the next expansion, they don't print it. They lose nothing. Because they got to keep designing to keep going uh, with the card game. It's different than a board game. You design a board game once, throw it out there, and just hope it sells, and they never have to touch it again. It doesn't work that way for CCGs. And it was just a really, really good podcast on how card games work mechanically, about how there's a community around card games, that CCGs are great for stores, LCGs are great for consumers, so they're trying to find a way to get the two together so it works for everybody. And there's a plug for that podcast. Go over there, people. <laughs> well, those guys know what they're doing because they're not only gamers, but they're store owners. Right. And, and now also they said this way they're cutting out the middleman. The distributor's not getting any money. So there's more money for the publisher to be able to make and support this game. And that's another reason why to keep going to Kickstarter. So they're thinking that maybe this model is best suited for like Kickstarter's type thing. Meanwhile, Fantasy Flight with Asmi Day behind them, they can do their LCG model however they want without much risk where a lot of other, uh, you remember, you remember, uh, 
Deadlands. Remember how that came and went? It was supported and not supported and just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. What was that one game? Was that the Western game we played? Yep. Deadlands? Something like no. that. Was no. It, it was based on that. It was based on that theme. But that one came yeah. and gone. It was like, it was gone. Yeah. And they kept trying to support it and nobody was buying it. And I also said it's interesting that, you know, with board games, if you get an evergreen title on a board game, you don't have to invest in it, in it anymore, right? The, the publishers stuff, they just keep reprinting it and making money. Not so with the card game because mm-hmm. the designers and everybody have to constantly keep designing new cards. And what about if nobody wants to buy it? Then they're investing in stuff that's not going to make any money. So that was our top five card games of nostalgia. See, I could re- redo it. Sort of, kind of, you know, the games of nostalgia for Marty well, Except and I. I'm still playing Arkham and it's still around. That's, that's true, you are. And of course, please tell us how wrong we are over at our guild. We would really do appreciate that. Always like to be corrected. I, it's part of my life. I'm used to it. So don't worry about it. All right. Well, I will say this. One of the things that people are, are saying about this time of year is that if you can continue to live, work with the people during this and you don't, Kill him? <laughs> Who is saying this? <laughs> uh, well, it's, a lot of people are saying that during this time, you know, all the togetherness that, you know, if you survive this, you can survive anything. This is really going to stress. We will see where marriages are in 2021. We'll see where <laughs> wow. friendships are. It, it's true. <laughs> I, know, I know, you know, some people that, you know, mm, some things have happened that have really caused people to question their relationships, like some of their idiosyncrasies. Okay. Okay. Like, like they say they care for other people and other people say they don't believe them. But you know, if, if that happens, you know, you got, if, if those survive through this time, then life is going to be good that it will be stronger. Guys, I have no idea what he's talking about. I, I don't know what you I wait. Are you going somewhere with this? I am going somewhere. What I'm saying is like I know some people who some of Rebecca's friends whose relationships have broken up because idiosyncrasies have come out in their relationships. Things that they didn't like about that person. Okay. So during this time. So if this podcast can survive this year, <laughs> Lord knows how long it will go on. <laughs> Okay. That's where that train was going. <laughs> well, okay, I'm not sure why that train ever had to leave the station, but okay, yay. I didn't know how to get into the outro, and I didn't want to make it too awkward, but I made it too awkward, so leave me alone, okay? I mean, I could have come into the outro and just said, keep rolling dice and taking names. That was a long one. Thank you for sticking through it to the end. If you want to follow the show, you can do so. Dyson Names on Instagram and Twitter. Follow our Facebook page. Go join our BGG Guild 1589. Hey, we have a Discord channel now. Come hang out. Share some of your favorite food and lawnmowers because that's that's pretty much all it is right now. Here are the, so the top video games from 2005 when, I was going to say Splinter Cell. What's the, uh, what's the, stu- what's the name of the game? Slaughterhouse? No. What's the game we're talking about? Well, Sniper Elite. Sniper Elite. Sniper Elite. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep thinking Splinter Cell because it's also a stealth game. <laughs> what was the thing you did with David Thompson where you messed up? Oh, the Splinter Cell. Uh, the Splinter Cell. That one. The one where I couldn't think of. I still can't think of the stupid name of the game. Oh, Sniper Elite. Thank you. 
Maybe you attended Gen Con online a couple weeks ago. Well, did you know if you want some memorabilia from that event, you can head over to the Broken Token and check out the official Gen Con 2020 modular dice tumblers. They have some amazing dice towers over there at the Broken Token. Some really cool designs and everything, and they have one specifically made for Gen Con this year. So you wanna go check that out. And also now they have these really cool 3D printed dice towers called Fates in Dice Towers. And when you see these things, it's like, whoa, that's a dice tower? Because at first I thought it was like some super nice terrain. It can be used as terrain, sure, but that terrain also is functional as a dice tower. You could drop dice in the top, has a base in the bottom where they roll out. It's ready to be sanded, it could be primed, it could be painted. It's officially licensed, they look great. To find out more about those accessories and all their organizers, go check out thebrokentoken.com. I'm gonna start saying .com like that all the time. Is that gonna annoy you? <laughs> Whatever you want to say.